Hey y'all, welcome back to a Friday, May 13th, 2022 edition here on the Chase Thomas Podcast, where I am still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee. Jam-packed show for you guys today. Uh, yeah, you're not going to believe it, jam-packed show. Uh, we start things off with uh, the full ride with Matt Green to talk all things college football on this edition of the podcast. A lot of college football this week, but there's a lot going on in the, in the sport as a whole. So Matt and I get into that, SEC uh, title odds, and uh, the ACC going to a, a, not a pod scheduling system in 2023, but something close. A um, lot more uh, college football discussion with Matt on the full ride here on the Chase Homes podcast. We also got stats by Will uh, for all things college basketball. We talk about uh, Memphis and their season review. We talk about the big news with uh, Julian Phillips on his way to the University of Tennessee, a big five-star get for uh, Rick Barnes and the Tennessee Volunteers and a couple other college basketball things uh, with Will. So always great catching up and talking all things uh, college basketball with Will on this program. We've also got, oh yeah, we got some more. We're not done there. We've also got uh, Maribel head football coach, Maribel Rebels out here in uh, East Tennessee. Uh, an absolute delight to have uh, Derek Hunt, the head coach of the Maribel Rebels, um, come on this edition of the podcast. So I greatly appreciate him making the time to come on today's show. It was just, it was so much fun uh, being able to pick his brain and uh, learn more about him, his program and what the Rebels have got cooking, how last season went, uh, taking over for a legend uh, and just so much more uh, with Coach Hunt. So I appreciate him uh, making the time uh, to come on this program and uh, share his story and what's been going on with the Rebs. Uh, and uh, yeah, exciting times if you're a Marable fan and uh, your program is in good hands with Coach Hunt. So uh, great getting to learn from him and uh, get all kinds of expert insight from one of the, the best young uh, coaches here in East Tennessee. So all that and more coming up on this edition of the podcast. But before we get into that, don't forget, folks, we're on YouTube, every episode on YouTube.com, so you can watch every one of these programs. If you prefer to do so, we have a video component, so you can go ahead and check that out on YouTube.com. Just type in the Chase Thomas Podcast. You'll find all of our previous episodes and all that good stuff, so make sure you subscribe there. Uh, don't forget, you can also uh, read me. Yeah, I'm at the Sports Renaissance Man dot substack.com sports renaissance man dot substack.com type in your email and get access to all of my writing right there and never miss any of my written content uh don't forget folks if you've not already done so and you're an apple podcast or a spotify listener go ahead and uh hit that pause button right now and leave this show a five-star rating and a review on apple podcast spotify or however you get your podcast it uh, helps other people find the show and it helps this show continue to grow i know i ask you every uh every episode but it just helps and it helps other people find the show and it helps blue our pods and our network continue to grow so uh it helps other people find the show tell a friend family member uh co-worker about the chase thomas podcast why you like listening to it on your commute or doing chores around the house on a run whatever it is we appreciate you uh taking the time to tune in to this very program um yeah pretty great um pretty great it's almost the weekend i'm wrapping up finals here at the university of tennessee here in graduate school, but uh, one semester to go. Um, pretty wild that time just flies by, but uh, a lot going on. So we're going to see 
how this weekend and next week unfold in that regard. But a lot of good stuff in the works here at the Chase Thomas Podcast. So very excited about the future, but I'm also ready to get through the semester so I can uh, kind of do what I want to do this summer and uh, get rolling on some other projects. So uh, more on that in due time, but uh, great win for the Vols tonight because uh, we're taping this late on a Thursday, uh, this intro, but uh getting the first win over those Georgia Bulldogs, which is great. Um, Very excited about that. Uh, Braves were off tonight, but yeah, so that's where we're at at the moment. So shout out to our guy, Mr. Phillips, and our head coach, Rick Barnes, for snagging uh, Mr. Phillips, the five-star, and uh, big get and big week on Rocky Top. Every week's a big week on Rocky Top. So things you love to see. Uh, That should do it for this intro. And, uh, you know, Uncle Darren. You know what it's time for. Let's go. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, we're back here on the full ride on the Chase Thomas podcast, where we're taping this on a different day this week because Matt Green uh, wants some tickets, courtesy of the friends of the pod and the good folks over there at Six Eighty to the Fan, where Matt answered a sports trivia question that the listeners should know. I also guessed correctly when he asked me what the question was that he uh, won said Braves tickets uh, for that Wednesday night. Keith Folk was the answer for 2004 Red Sox. I don't know why I remember that so vividly, but I do remember it was Keith Folk. Um, a very memorable closer in, uh, in our lifetime. But Matt, you picked a great game to win tickets for. Were you there till the end? Did you, did you stay to the walk-off in the bottom of the ninth? Oh, without a doubt, man. I don't, uh, I don't leave games early. Okay. I don't, I don't do it. So um, ever, yeah. No, I'm sure I've left the game early at some point, especially okay. a Braves regular season game. But I go to so few games, like you mm. might as well. You're not beating any traffic leaving early, right? Just stick it out. So yeah, Orlando Arcia. I was bummed, you know, on the way down there. Found out Acuna wasn't in the lineup, but um, mm. Orlando Arcia, man, with the walk off bomb. But but yeah, I um, as far as that trivia question goes, mm-hmm. I feel like at some point years ago, I just. My fr- like answering trivia questions, my friends would just be like, "How do you know that?" You know, like <laughs> it, like in a yeah, and not an impressed way, in like a kind of condescending way, like, and, mm-hmm. and that's why I just started answering like, "How do I know anything that I know?" Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. Why do I? Why does my mind remember uh, who who closed out the games for the '04 Red Sox and not and not other important things in my life? I, mm-hmm. I honestly can't answer it, but. But yeah, it was nice. It's the second time I've won uh, won tickets uh, via 680. So there you go. Last time was like I don't know six seven years ago. I actually had to drive down like to the studio and like and get them. But this time they just emailed them to me. It was uh, it's pretty sweet. Technology. We've moved past it where it's like yeah. There can you go. imagine like we had to drive to the Dunwoody location in uh, rush hour traffic because uh, there was not a good way to. I mean I I worked at that uh, location. Now they're at the battery. It's pretty like going to pick them up now would actually not be a problem. You're already there. So if you go pick them up That's from 680 now, you're just you take 30 steps the other way and you're at the stadium. So it works out. Um, well, that's good. I'm, I'm glad you're able to go and that it was a, a good ending because it's been a weird, rocky start to this uh, 2022 Braves uh, title defense. Not only that, I got to give a shout out to uh, my mom. Okay. It's her birthday today and my dad's birthday was actually Tuesday. So I was like, I won free tickets. Like, let me let me go ahead and offer these to my parents for a birthday present. And they, yeah. they couldn't make it. So I also have like the, <laughs> the, the credit of like trying to give a good pre- birthday gift. But also they, they declined it. So which 
which was which was ideal for me. What was the reason? Honest. Too late? Are they? Um, I feel yeah, like... my mom's like she's a, like a retired math teacher. Yeah, she's in bed nine o'clock. I'm not staying there late. No, she was like tutoring actually, like for okay. for kids like finals coming up, I guess. So. Mm. Um, yeah, so luckily we, uh, I got, I got both credit for both. So it was, it was solid. Well, now you don't. Cause now I, mama green is going to listen to this and be like, Oh, that wasn't a real, that wasn't a real gift. <laughs> it was a real offer. I put it out there though. If they wanted to go, cause I don't think my dad is yet to, to go to a game at Truist Park. Mm. So he's just one of those people. He's just, he's, he's just not going to get outside his comfort zone. So I'll have to, we'll have to get him to a, to a game at some point. I mean, that happens to all of us, man, uh, as we get older. Like, my dad's like that. The fiance's dad's like that. Uh, it's just a part of uh, men getting older is we just get more and more entrenched in uh, our comfort zones and not changing. And you spoke to uh, the useless sports knowledge that people uh, – I remember when I was at UGA journalism camp going into my senior year of high school. Um, that was, like, one of my favorite camps. I, I'm not a camp guy. did not grow up being a camp guy. And still had so much fun. It's the only good thing to ever come out of Athens, Georgia, is this journalism camp. And <laughs> had a great time. Uh, met so many cool people. Still friends today. Um, and it was such a nerdy thing to love, but it was it was it was great. I, I love journalism camp at UGA. And we got to work with Red and Black and do all that. But it was it was cool. Um, outside of the whole Georgia Bulldog thing. And we uh, I remember. There was this girl there uh, who I think actually ended up going to UT, um, but she described me as a walking sports encyclopedia, and I wore that as like a badge of honor. 17-year-old Chase was like, yeah, <laughs> thank you. That's like one of the kindest things uh, a, a person can say about me. And then I found out later, if a girl in, in high school calls you a walking sports encyclopedia, it's not a not a positive. She was like, oh, this it what this guy just a walk like the way you say it. There's like, oh, he's like a walking sports encyclopedia, and then there's the other way of saying it, which is like he's like a walking sports encyclopedia, and that's what I think it was. And I uh, I, I completely misread the situation at the time. Hey, you know, one person's trash is another person's <laughs> treasure. So you know that that may not have uh, done anything for for some women out there, but you know, others maybe like you know he's. He remembers those sports facts. That's uh, that's very impressive. So I've I've yet to meet a, a girl that's that impressed by it. Mm-hmm. But you know that doesn't mean they're not out there. I don't need it. Like I don't. I'm not trying to impress uh, uh, my significant other with my sports knowledge. It's more of like I, I. It is what it is. It's one of those where I can't control it. And when you get older, and I feel like you probably have this too, where you're like, there's no point in fighting it. Like I'm gonna know who Keith Folk is, and I'm gonna know who the Red Sox closer in 2004 was. I'm gonna. I'm going to know just all kinds of ridiculous things that I wish I didn't know about sports. Like, that's just how I'm like, I was getting up uh, when I was seven years old, memorizing the top 25 on Saturday mornings in the paper. Like there, I am who I am at this point. Like uh, that's just in there. So there's parts of my brain where I've told uh, the fiance and other people where it's like, I'm I'm just bad at names now. Like if I meet you, I got to know that I'm going to see you again. If I'm going to retain the name, like it's, it's difficult <laughs> for me because my brain, like, I'll remember, I can I can tell you what Jalen Brown did in the third quarter in the Celtics game last night, and I cannot tell you what I had for breakfast yesterday. It's just one of those where I retain such weird stuff that my, I, it, it's just a weird, weird thing, but it's, it's life. It is what it is. Yeah, without a doubt. It's, um, yeah, it, it's our cross to bear, you know, <laughs> what, what, what can you do? Um, speaking of what can you do? 
uh, Matt Green. The ACC uh, is going to do some stuff. They are going to pivot, it looks like, in 2023 to a 3-5-5 scheduling format. And this is a variation of the pod formats that when you listen to folks around the league, this is what's coming. Uh, Divisions will be going away. As we've uh, always joked about on this very program, we don't even know what the divisions are in the ACC. We couldn't, if we had a gun to our head (laughs) and we had to name who was in the Coastal and who was in the Atlantic, I don't think we would bat a thousand on, on that one. Um, so I feel like last season I made like a conscious effort to remember yeah. it, and I feel like it's already gone. Like I just do you want to do it Atlantic right now? Do you want to test Coastal? it? I honestly <laughs> probably not. Honestly, like I don't. Are you? Do you have it pulled up? I'm gonna pull it up if you if you want to do it. I I'm here for it. All right. So so off the top of my head, I want to say Clemson's in the Atlantic. Okay, yes, you're you're one for so, one. So we got Clemson and Miami. Wrong. Already. Oh <laughs> man. That's the first the first one. So yeah. I um it's it just doesn't mean anything. The Atlantic yeah. Atlantic Coast Conference, Atlantic break it down in Atlantic versus Coastal. It's because they didn't want to do it north versus south because all those new big east teams would all kind of be together in the north. It'd be like the Big Ten West, Big Ten East type situation where it's like super stacked in one side and super weak in the other. Um, Because it's so weird that Syracuse is in the Atlantic and then you have Pitt in the Coastal. How how does that work? How are these two teams not in the same division? It it just doesn't. It doesn't make any sense at all, really. But I love to see them throwing out this three five five model. Mm -hmm. Because I hate the pods. Like I just do not like the idea of the pods. If the pods works in probably any sport that doesn't just that isn't just like drenched in tradition like college football is Mm. like college the tradition is just what makes college football what it is Mm. so if you're talking about like yeah let's like kind of world cup style you know like you have all the ones all the 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 top seeds you know uh broken down in each group the two seeds broken down each group like you could create some even pods that way but to not have some of those traditional rivalries played every single year, like that's what complicates things. So it's like this is what I've talked about for the AC for the SEC. You know, going this three locked rival uh, mm-hmm. type schedule for the, the SEC going to sixteen teams would have to be a three six six rotation. They'd have to go to nine conference games to begin with. So that's already which is what they should do. Let's that is what that they should record. do yeah. for sure. But um, I love seeing the ACC do this. I was surprised at some of these locked rivals, like. Like Miami Virginia Tech, I feel like that was always kind of one of those classic rivalries, kind of going back to the Big East. So that's yeah. not one of these that's on here. But for the most part, I feel like they did a really good job. Like like Miami playing Florida State, Boston College, and and Pitt every year. Like mm-hmm. there is some tradition there with with some of those older Big East teams, Boston College and Pittsburgh playing Miami. So I like it. Uh, Georgia uh, Clemson playing NC State, Georgia Tech and FSU. Like those all seem to make make sense. And I think. The, the best part about it is with just everybody playing everybody twice in a four-year span. Like, mm-hmm. that's just – they're all in the same conference if we're doing it that way. I think when you – what the biggest – my biggest, like, holdup on the, on the pod system is how do you determine who goes to the conference championship? Like, it's just – like, do you have an SE, do you have a, a conference semifinal so that the if there's four pods that you know these pods are BCS facing, for college? It's uh, like you're not gonna do that. You're not yeah. gonna have two rounds of conference 
tournament conference championship or whatever so that's my biggest hold up on the pods i think you if you do it in this way you have to get rid of divisions mm. and i think you might could have like some issues like right now there's no issue like i know like a famous one in 2007 uh when tennessee went to the sec championship that was the last time tennessee went to the sec mm. championship right like georgia was a top five team like i think most people agreed georgia was better than tennessee that year but the one time they faced each other, Tennessee blew them out of the water that year. So, like, they had that tie. They were tied in the SEC standings, and Tennessee won head-to-head. Like, as as frustrating as Georgia fans may have been that they were one of the hottest teams in the country by season end, like, you couldn't argue that Tennessee won the East that year. So, mm-hmm. you could run into a problem of, like, some tied teams. Like, the Big 12 doesn't have that issue. Like, no divisions. Everyone's playing everybody. The records are what they are, and they're they're legitimate. Like mm-hmm. you could run into an issue where there's there's some teams tied at the top where they didn't play each other, and you kind of have to figure something out. But I think it works better than the pod system. Yeah, I think I think that's right. I just I worry. I don't like this universal approach from conference to conference. So I think the SEC is like. Man, if you get down to it, like which three are Tennessee picking? Which three is Georgia picking as their locked in rivals? Like that's that's hard, man. It's <laughs> it I mean, I have great. I have some data. I have mm-hmm. I have those pairings if you want if you want I'm to ready, see. yeah, give them to it. For Tennessee I had Vanderbilt, Florida, and Alabama. So <sighs> we lose Georgia. Saturday, you do lose Georgia, but the third Saturday in October, you know, while it doesn't seem like a big rivalry the last 10 15 years since Saban mm-hmm. arrived like that is still a traditional rivalry that the Tennessee has for Georgia mm-hmm. I have Florida Auburn and South Carolina like some of them start to get a little trickier like when you got Oklahoma jumping into the conference like they don't necessarily have those built-in rivalries like other teams mm-hmm. have but like someone like Texas like Oklahoma Texas A&M and Arkansas like that's great like that just you want those those certain rivalries. So, mm-hmm. like, with Alabama, it's tough. Like, I had Alabama with Auburn, Ole Miss, and Tennessee. Okay. But also LSU. Like, Alabama-LSU, it's not necessarily, like, a, a rivalry no, per se. That's one, yeah. But the last 10, yeah, 15 years, they've just – it's become such a huge rivalry. Mm-hmm. So, it's not perfect. You have to – we'd have to figure it out. But, like, one of – like, I was actually, like – so I started building it out not only – what the locked rivalries would be, but then what that six and six rotation would be. And so like mm. I took one team because like when I posted this on on Twitter, like I don't know, a year ago, mm-hmm. um, a lot of people kind of disagreed that how um, unbalanced these locked rivalries were, mm. right? So like someone like Kentucky, I had South Carolina, Vanderbilt, and Mississippi State as their three locked rivals. So you look at that and you're like, so Texas has to play Oklahoma, A&M, and Arkansas, and mm. Kentucky's over here playing these cupcakes or whatever cupcakes by SEC standards. Mm. But then if you look, like they're going to be rotating those other twelve teams for the other two years. So like, yeah, Kentucky might only have South Carolina, Vanderbilt, Mississippi State every year, but then one year they might play Oklahoma, Georgia, Auburn, and Texas A&M. The next year they might play. Alabama, LSU, Florida, and Texas. So, like, yeah. no one's hiding from the from these uh, gauntlet of schedules. Like, mm-hmm. I think if you do it in this way, it's almost impossible to not have a gauntlet of an SEC schedule. Like, and this would just be – it would be incredible, honestly. I think before the conference went to, 14, uh, to 12 te- uh, four, 14 teams mm-hmm. back in 2012, like, the rotation was so good. Like, you were mm-hmm. – everyone is going to play everyone in a – 
four-year span. And so they got we got to get back to that. We've talked at nauseum how many times about how Georgia has yet to play at Texas A&M, mm-hmm. even though they've been in the conference for, what, 10 years? Was that the mm-hmm. 10th year they were in the conference this past year? So they, they, we got to do something to, to make the conference, the, the scheduling more balanced. Like, like you see someone like Tennessee who has uh, Alabama and Georgia every year on their schedule. Someone like Auburn that's got Alabama and Georgia every year in addition to the SEC West. And they're also mm-hmm. not shy about scheduling big-time non-conference games either. Mm-hmm. So, like, that should be encouraged. But right now, like, Auburn is doing themselves a huge disservice every time they go out and, and schedule a home-and-home home with Penn State, schedule a, a big-time neutral site game with Oregon, because, like, they're still having this gauntlet in the SEC West. So I think if you go to this this rotation, everyone will play everyone in a two-year span, and everyone will play everyone twice in a four-year span. Like, you're not worried about the locked rivals because everything's going to kind of come out in the wash, right? Like, everyone is going to have these these tough schedules. So I love that the ACC is doing this. I'm, I'm, hoping, I'm hoping this will catch on and the SEC will do the same thing because, like, if you're, like if you're making pods – like you, you, you have a, you have an obligation to make the pods as as fair and as even as possible, right? Mm-hmm. And and if you do that, you're going to lose some of those traditional rivalry games that we see every year. I just the one thing I worry, and I was listening to, I was talking about this with Graham last night in the pod, um, that so. <laughs> This is one of those where I think we need fans in the room. Like, I think you need, like, three season ticket holders in the room when you have these discussions where these people that don't go to games and don't care about these universities and don't care about the Saturdays. And when I think we have to consider why uh, college football attendance is in steady decline. And there, it, it's interesting because there's – I'm not going to name the podcast, but there was a podcast that I was listening to uh, on my run the other day and i i respect these guys and they're really smart in this industry but one of the things that they were talking about and i disagreed i want to get your perspective on this is that like yes more variety and it's silly that georgia and texas a&m like georgia's not traveled to texas a&m that can be true that can be silly however i think they're their point and what they were emphasizing was like, oh, how great is it to get more variety and give Florida that? Because Florida has not been to Fayetteville very often, and they have not done that very often and since uh, they like, which is crazy because they've been in the SEC for as long as they have. Great, but by and large, most fans like if you want to help attendance and you want to fix some of these problems, you don't like break up what already works. You get what I'm saying? Where you don't remove the things that already are fine. Don't break more things in the effort to like fix other things. So it's like, uh, I understand the damned if you do, the damned if you don't, but like cut off rivalries despite your face. Yes, exactly. That sort of thing where it's like rivalries are one of the last things that we have that rec that we can recognize from what we grew up with with college football with so much change so quickly and the volatility in the sport year to year that like, one of the last remaining things that college football fans have and one of the last few things that they really, really care that separates college football from the pros and from the NFL and from what it was is that it's about Saturdays and it's about rivalry games and it's about Tennessee, Florida. It's about Tennessee, Kentucky. It's about Tennessee, Georgia. It's about Tennessee, Alabama. It's not about the playoff. It's not about the variety. There's not a Tennessee fan 
in attendance for Tennessee, Georgia. That's like, you know, I would rather give this up for an opportunity to go to Missouri more often or go to Ole Miss more often. That's a complete misunderstanding of what the college football fan actually wants. So when you, when you, like, if you ask any Tennessee diehard or any season ticket holder, they are not going to say, I wish there was more variety in our schedule. What they are going to say is preserve the rivalries, keep that going, but get rid of the Kent State, get rid of the buying games. Yeah, because for sure. if you're a Georgia fan, this schedule sucks. Like, if you are paying a lot of money to go to these Georgia home games this fall, the Oregon game's not at home, which is a huge bummer because that would have been a big thing. That would have made this home schedule look a lot better. But you don't have that at home. And then you look at the rest of this calendar. It's like Tennessee's your best home game this year. And yeah, that's by it. Far. And you're like, what am I paying for? Like, this is a lot of money and it's going up in price. And if you have that many, like, you got to get rid of the buy-in games. And I understand that hurts the buy-in schools, but just pay them. Like, do a revenue sharing or something like that just to be like, hey, the money we make from the college football playoff and everything else in our television revenue, we just give you all a percentage. Um, Spring and, games. Yeah, there you go. Do something like that. Play, play Troy State or Troy, whatever they're calling themselves these days. Play them in, in, in April for a yeah. spring game. Throw, throw them $750,000. game is actually a great like, idea. I like, love that. I, you just need something like yeah if you want to throw these these schools a bone like you feel like mm-hmm. it's good for the the lifeblood of the sport or whatever like i get it like mm-hmm. i get you know the opportunities that it provides for all these these athletes and everything but like we said before that's not the response that shouldn't be the responsibility mm-hmm. of those major schools like and in terms of tennessee I don't know if Tennessee's going to argue that much about getting rid of the Alabama game. They're like, oh, you know, I but mean, but that's not forever. Tennessee, if Alabama, we have Alabama to get rid of like Alabama, this, that's a Saban <laughs> no, thing. Like for sure, the Shula stuff still happened. Like Alabama has not been like like the Nick Saban. As crazy as it sounds, is not going to be at Alabama forever. Someone's going to eventually have to yeah. follow him, and they might get the guy behind him wrong. That might happen. And for sure, I, don't I think know. you're going to see the the most you know, hang up with, with someone like Tennessee is like not having Georgia on the schedule every yeah. year, not having Kentucky on the schedule every mm-hmm. year. Like that's even like a low key rivalry as well. So like, you're going to lose some of that, but I think it's worth it because, okay, you might not play Kentucky every year, but you play them every other year. And I think mm-hmm. that's worth it to, to not go eight years without playing LSU or eight years without playing Ole Miss or something. Like, I think the fact that like I, I'd be willing to to give up a certain traditional game every year if I'm still getting it every other year, and then I'm getting a bunch more good games every other year. Because I think that's what a, people kind of. But if forget. you're a if you're a South Carolina fan, are you willing to give up Clemson, South Carolina for uh, another conference game? No, you can't give up that game. So, but see, that's something you're going to run into is like some of the non-conference rivalry games. Like George, Georgia Tech, I don't think any Georgia fan like actually needs to play Tech anymore. And that was like one of the things we learned about 2020 was I don't think there was any Georgia or even Tech fan that was like, you know, I really wish we had played that game at the end of the year. That was uh, not having clean old-fashioned hate was, was rough for us. For sure, right? Like Georgia Tech, they're like we need we needed that that game with with some national eyes on us. Yeah, no one no one cared about any of the games we played since we didn't mm. play Georgia. But I honestly started thinking, like as a person who just like we've talked about, just remembers ridiculous things about sports. Like I started thinking about the Georgia. I don't know what it was like the other day. I started thinking mm. about the Georgia Tech game from this past year, and I was like, usually like every game from like just about every season i can like kind of remember like oh yeah that was that game where we did this couple i remember that george pickens touchdown or you know Mm -hmm. just 
a pick six or something random. Like I literally, there was not a play from the 2021 Georgia Tech game that mm. I really could remember off the top of my head. I'm like, like I remember a couple years ago when when Fromm hit uh, who's Akil Crumpton like down the sideline like mm. uh, late in that Georgia Tech game. And that was 2019. Like I'm trying, I was like racking my brain. I was like, was it a home game? Or was it a road game? Like. It, the game, it's the season finale, and it's like mm-hmm. it's so irrelevant at this point. But yeah, so that's with Georgia, Georgia Tech. But like with Florida, Florida State, like you can't lose that game. You can't lose mm-hmm. Clemson, South Carolina. You can't lose like Louisville, Kentucky, and Louisville doesn't have the same cachet behind it, but it's the same in state rivalry. Like, there's you have to have those games. Uh, and, and if you and like we talked about, if you're if you're not worried about Kent State and mm-hmm. Toledo on your schedule, then then it's not a problem to keep those that that one locked Power Five game because you can still get you know I guess if we're talking about going to nine games, mm-hmm. then that's that's basically ten games that are locked once you add that in state rivalry in, but you still have two games to play with. So, and that's just better for the fans. It's better like that should be the biggest lesson of twenty twenty is that man. It's better for the sport when we start off with Ole Miss, Florida. Like, we just get more excited. We're like, all right, let's go. This is happening. Games that matter immediately. And I was was talking to the Marable uh, head football coach uh, earlier today on the podcast. Marable. And uh, he just great stuff uh, from Coach Derek Hunt. And uh, it was was great talking to him. But one of the things he brought up is, like, they're – schedule to start off this fall is just like four straight out of the gate like they open with the rival and they got uh just a murderer's row the first month of the season i asked him i was like as a coach do you do you like starting with cupcakes would you rather start and really get used to your new roster and kind of work through the kinks and stuff he's like no i don't care if we lose this game early in the season where we learn something i care about what we are in november not in september or august so I think a lot of coaches are probably wired like that, where I think fans think that it, it's great to start off with the cupcakes and kind of work it out. But I think if you ask most coaches, they're like, no, I'd rather play real competition uh, right away and see where we're at and learn from it. Like people are so scared of the losses, the buy-in losses and getting App State if you're Michigan that like you're missing the broader point where it's like if you're losing App State on a buy-in game, you weren't winning anything anyway. Like <laughs> that, that means you were not that good anyway. So if that's a serious concern, then guess what? You have bigger problems. But like, but I think Shane Bieber said the yeah. opposite recently, right? I think he he made a comment that it, college football is the only sport out there that doesn't have some sort of scrimmage, some sort of mm-hmm. tune-up game. And I think it because you see it in the preseason, the NFL, like that sort of thing. Why don't we do that? The buying games just become preseason, like we do two of those in August like uh seven on maybe, seven yeah maybe one like i don't know if we've yeah. got two but but yeah i mean that's even an idea like the game doesn't count but like mm-hmm. people would just be so starving for football at that point yeah. like yeah they would probably show up you know so i don't know there's there's ways there's ways to fix it for sure i um because i i, I do under and especially because i i feel like there's probably an advantage to having a tune-up game like mm. When you're talking Maryville, you're talking about high school or mm-hmm. so in high school. It's like, yeah, like exactly. It's all about the playoffs. So mm-hmm. it's all about you know building your team up and and being in a position to you know kind of grow as the season goes along and be be playing your best ball at the end of the year. So mm-hmm. with with college football, that's just not the case. You just have to be perfect if you want to win something substantial. And you have some teams over here playing nationally ranked opponents 
on their own field week one, and you have other teams going three to four weeks before they play a Power 5 school. So it's like, mm-hmm. you just got to do something about that so we we have some sort of just fairness across the board, like some sort of universal kind of strength of schedule that like you're never going to have everyone play the same strength of schedule, but mm. you could at least make strides to like try to make it better. Like if, if Auburn, like, like looking at Georgia's schedule, like how, how bad it looks this year, like mm. part of that's like Florida's rebuilding, right? Mm. Like Auburn is looks, no one really knows what's going on with Auburn right now. It's like Auburn and Tennessee on, on those rotations of, of Georgia's schedule should be like their two most, you know, exciting home games essentially. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Tennessee is gonna gonna do something this year. But Auburn, like, yeah, it's a rivalry, so people are gonna show up and they're gonna be pumped for it. Mm-hmm. But it's not it's not a, a, a big time game really. So mm-hmm. it, you're you're not gonna be able to really legislate teams just, you know, going through down periods. But if you if you're playing just all power five schools and just playing the same number of conference opponents and everything, like it, it it's going to go a long way in, in helping some of that uneven scheduling. I would agree. I would agree. Well, let's move to uh, a different subject matter here, Matt Green. Uh, Emory Jones, after months and months of wondering and uh, wondering where he was going to go, he will be replacing Jaden Daniels at Arizona State. What do you make of Emory Jones uh, joining Herm and the Sun Devils? I, I just don't know what how how excited we can be about Emory Jones. Like in the Pac-12, it's going to be against worse competition. Mm-hmm. So like you know maybe maybe he can he can be better. Like I'm just I'm not I'm not too excited. Like looking at Emory Jones this past year, he was sacked fewer times than any quarterback in the SEC. Did you huh. know that? Only sacked eleven times all year, and he was seventh in the conference in pass attempts. So. It's not like just some guy who was just running the ball all the time. So he was sacked the fewest times in the entire SEC and also threw the most picks in the SEC. Huh. Tied with Will Levis, actually, for the most picks in the SEC. So 19 touchdowns or 13 picks. Like, mm. obviously, the, the, his legs are an element of his game. But, like, if you're getting protected that well and you're still not really doing and, – and also Florida didn't have a good defense. So you're talking a team that, that needed to score points – and their their starting quarterback only threw 19 touchdowns. Granted, Anthony Richardson started a couple games here and there, mm-hmm. but I don't know. I can't get I can't get too excited about Emory Jones personally. Yeah, same here. I it's fine. It's better competition for him, or be, a better uh, when I say better competition, it's a better situation potentially with the Pac-12 schedule and uh, what he'll be dealing with. But, I mean, Arizona State's just a huge question mark right now. Um, losing their OC and DC this offseason, the investigation uh, with the Sun Devils. They're in a weird spot, man. I don't know. The Sun Devils are one of the more difficult teams to get a read on. Uh, they have so many holes to fill and a lot of transfer stuff they still got to iron out. So, I don't know. Uh, they're a wait and see. But, hey, Emory Jones doing having a bounce-back year in Tempe, uh, wouldn't be the biggest surprise in the world just based on different scenario out west, change of scenery. I don't know. Like one of Bo Nix and Emory Jones uh, have to work out, right? Going out west. Um, we'll see. Yeah, Maybe. that is that is interesting. Um, so this was interesting too. Uh, from Football Scoop, they pulled this up. Football Scoop's one of my favorite uh football sites to to peruse on a daily basis. But uh, they had this. Uh, from Iowa's 80, Gary Barda, 
who uh so this comes from uh football scoop so go check it out there if you have not already done so but barda on the fight for iowa podcast they found um he had this idea for slowing uh roster churn in college athletics and he pushed for rolling back the free one-time transfer without consequence and it's interesting because i love the ion basketball college basketball podcast on cbs with gary Parrish and matt norlander and i was listening to them on my walk this afternoon uh from campus back to my car and i i vehemently disagreed with their assertion because they were like killing killing barda for this and like it's just one of those things where it's like this is the change you got to get on board like you're not going back you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube and this is now a fair system and a lot of coaches and ad's don't like that it's fair now is and that I was true like, can we not put the toothpaste it seems like they're trying to put the toothpaste yeah. back in the tube <laughs> they're at least trying but i also think okay i can understand the player friendly stuff and i'm pro player i think most people are pro player that can be true that being said, one of the things that I've noticed with national media about this is that they're missing is, but you still have to factor in fan enjoyment and what the fans who go to these games want. So it can be more fair. However, if this, if you are a fan of these college teams, if you, the Jordan Addison thing should be a wake up call that like this is a problem like if there's a scenario where larry fitzgerald does not finish at Pitt and instead finishes at lsu or florida or where or georgia because he had this breakout early campaign in Pitt and he transfers and finishes there that is a problem that is not a great thing so you're like well it's pro player that's it get on board and suck it up it's like well I don't know, like attendance is going down and you have to be wary of where the sport's going, where too much change, where it's like, if I want this to be totally like the pros, I'll just watch the pros. Like part of like the dismissal of this being a problem now is silly to me where it's like, you can be pro player and understand that it's better for Jordan Addison to do this potentially. It might not because Carson Wentz, Trey Lance, they both were quarterbacks at North Dakota state and FCS. They go first, like, top 10 in the draft like they're carson strong nevada for he, he gets drafted like you go up and down the list bailey zappy western I mean, Kentucky. larry fitzgerald is literally a star wide receiver from Pitt. that was drafted, exactly what second overall he was he just won his big award and he's gonna be a first round pick if he stays at Pitt. and you're gonna get paid and i understand that like maybe he wants to go win a title because you can't win a championship at Pitt, and you can go win one at uh at maybe texas usc whatever like alabama if he ends up at alabama like they have a need uh they're putting a lot of their eggs in the trey burton basket but like i don't know it's just that and then jermaine burton jermaine burton yeah, yeah. what did i say trey burton that's trey, uh, florida florida right? yeah the, the florida guy quarterback the, slash yeah tight end, tight end the, and yeah. With the bears yeah um but i think it's just they're overlooking this stuff man and i'm like talk to fans that's not good like they're i i think it's one of those things where if, especially if you're getting paid now and NIL is a big thing where it's like we have to incentivize player movement to players to stay with their programs and like give throw a bone to these coaching staffs that are able to develop a Jordan Addison that it's like oh awesome we got to see this guy when he came in raw on campus and then develop in our program and now he's a cornerstone and he can we can use him as like a um just kind of a leader for the next receiver who wants to be like hey do you want to be like a Jordan Addison and Larry Fitzgerald come to pit or do you want to go the other way where it's like 
we we can develop you for a little bit and then we'll get you paid by the next big power five program that you can go make more money and all that and finish out your career like that. That's not what any fan wants. And that's not something that pit fans want. That's not what any smaller program wants. And it's like, okay, well that's a problem. So you have to say that like, how do we fix or how do we incentivize players to stay put when they're in good situations, when things are going well and to stop the poaching and stop the tampering. Like you have to talk about this in subway. Yeah, like the NBA has the rule is is that what the bird years are or something where the team bird that dra- rights. bird yeah. rights the team that mm-hmm. drafts you can pay you more than Correct. than you can make on the open market. Mm-hmm. So we don't have this salary cap situation in college mm-hmm. football yet, but it's just funny how every time this is brought up, it just it, it's like it's the response is okay, boomer, right? Mm-hmm. It's just like, well, you just don't want what the players want, mm-hmm. whatever. But there is something that's made a lot of us prefer college football over pro football for years. And it's Mm. not necessarily just the amateur model. Like a lot of people think these guys have been getting paid, you know, Mm. for decades. Like you you don't don't really know what's true. They've been getting something. You don't really know what exactly is true. But it's, it's reasonable to think if this sport looks less and less like the sport that I preferred to the NFL then I'm no longer going to to care as much about this sport. And if mm. and the fans are what make college football, I think more than uh, better than the NFL. It's just the traditions, just the I feel like the just the sheer just decibel level. I feel like mm. when you turn on a college football game, like on a Saturday, like the place just the crowd energy just seems like a different level than an NFL game. Like mm. it's just there's something to it. So it's a really tough one. You, I'm glad you, once you brought this up on the pod, I don't know if that was last week or mm-hmm. a couple weeks ago, right when you said it, I was like, that's not something I've thought of, but I like that idea because we've talked about the controlled variables. Like they just threw all of these variables in at the same time and like, oh, good luck with this sport. Like mm-hmm. hopefully it's not unrecognizable <laughs> in 10 years, right? So I'm all for that because I think the other ones are just so difficult really mm-hmm. to to put the toothpaste back in the tube. Like I don't understand how they're going to retroactively say some of these NIL deals are Mm. like not valid or not legal. Like, I don't know if these guys have signed papers or whatever. Well, like, doesn't, they, they can't win. Like, Tennessee has their own NIL laws that, like, they were ahead of the curve and that, like, you're just not beating the courts. Like, they've, a lot of these, like, every state has their own law. Like, it's just not yeah. happening. Like, you're not winning these. You're going to lose. The NCAA like, does not have a good record when going to yes, court for they these will lose either. Yeah, so it's like, that doesn't seem like something you can really do, even though they're trying to do it. So, yeah. but the the one-time transfer, that does seem like something that you can't, mm. you can't, like close the portal up right Mm -hmm. like this is a this is good for the players to go in there and okay what teams are interested in me now Mm -hmm. but like this we have to windows exactly and like with zay flowers too at boston college talking about being offered six hundred thousand dollars or whatever the case and he chose to stay at boston college like most guys are probably not going to turn down big time money to, to especially like who knows who was offering uh zay flowers that money probably mm-hmm. a team that has a better chance to win a national championship than boston college so it's one thing if you get in the portal and now it's free agency and you're going to go to the highest bidder it's another thing if people are bidding on you before you're even in the portal and that's mm-hmm. that's definitely an issue that we got to do something about like you're never like with how these guys uh these players like as prospects go to these camps and communicate with one another like 
you, you're not going to be able to prevent wide receiver from so-and-so school from texting another wide receiver from like, yeah, you should definitely come here. Like we run a great offense, whatever. We got great quarterback play. Like you're not going to be able to prevent that. But from for coaching staffs, for boosters to reach out to these actual players, like I'll give you this much money to come here. I think we all agree like that's not what we had in mind when NIL, when NIL was presented. Yeah. I think it's just the one we've all been okay with is the grad transfer, like the Jamie Newman thing where he did all the yeah. stuff. Like that one didn't sit wrong with Wake fans where it's like, no, he was awesome for Wake and then it was it. And then he had a chance to really jump into the national title scene and go win a ring. Like the graduate transfer makes sense. And it's also incentivized more schooling. Like you're just exactly. going to get your master's. Yeah. And if there's any student athletes out there to want to throw a bone to to like you don't have to sit out mm-hmm. it's the guys that got their degree like the, yeah. you how many times are they propping these guys up oh they're they're students before they're athletes they're 99 mm-hmm. percent will go pro in something other than sports like we've heard all of these just key phrases for years mm-hmm. like it makes so much sense to to uh reward the guys that have gotten a degree at the school they went to but to just you know, be not satisfied of how how you the amount of playing time you guys are freshmen, so now you're gonna bounce. Like we can't keep anybody from doing the things they wanna do, but like Larry Fitzgerald, if he wants to sit out a year after his breakout freshman year at Pittsburgh and then go to Florida, like there's nothing you can do to right. to, to stop. He's he's got free will as a human being, right? But to not make it so easy, right? Mm. If Justin Fields knows he has to sit out a year if he goes to Ohio State, then he might he might put in the work to try to win that starter job. But also, for one tam- more year tampering won't happen because they're like, well, we're not going to go above and beyond because we can't get this guy right away. Like, we're not going to wait yeah. on this kid. So yeah, and it's just the the immediate impact, like mm-hmm. the the fact that Lincoln Riley can go to to USC and also recruit like eight to ten of his key players and bring them mm-hmm. along with them. Like, that's just that's a red flag right there. I think almost more than anything else. Like, we know how these coaches can move. Like, the idea of these coaches bringing players with them, like, I, I'm not a fan of that at all. But it's that's what they should do. Lincoln Riley's doing what he's supposed to do. Like, this Under is the how rules, you, yeah, yes. I can't hate on him, but that's why I feel like the, something's got to be done about these rules because I don't think that's that's not what people want out of, out of college football, in my right. opinion. I, I don't know if I can speak for everybody in college football, but that's, I think, the general... The general fan out there that that's not what they have. The general mind. fan is not happy about the player movement right now. Like yeah. it's just we not... want Todd Gurley to be able to sign some autographs and make some yes. money for it because any student on UGA's campus could sign some autographs or or could make some CDs and mm-hmm. sell them on on campus or something like that. Like any student can do something like that. And so when you have athletes not allowed to do the things that other students are allowed to do, that's when it kind of doesn't sit right with you. Mm. But yeah, just the pay for play, players just going to the highest bidder. I don't know. It already happens to an extent. I don't I think it's getting a, a little a little out of control. Like, you know, when when Nick Saban says it, everyone agrees. When Dabo says it, he's he's an out of touch boomer. So like I don't even it's 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 somewhere in between. Mm-hmm. Well, um, let's hit our main event, uh, Matt Green. SEC title betting odds are out. Uh, team, uh, we're going to do this each week for a couple weeks. We're going to hit on the, the big conferences and where Vegas uh, sees um, the winners and most likely to win their conference. And we got to start with uh, where it just means more. People forget that in the South it just means more. 
to win the SEC. But let me rattle off um, where the the odds come. And I won't give the plus whatever. I'll just do um, from order of least likely to most likely to win the SEC this upcoming year. So it's not just winning your division. It's win the SEC outright. Um, So that includes the conference title game. So Vanderbilt, Missouri, Mississippi State, South Carolina, Auburn, LSU, Arkansas, Tennessee, Florida, Kentucky, Ole Miss, A&M, Georgia, and Alabama. Matt Green. So right off the bat, um, the one I'm most surprised about, Mm -hmm. I would have to say either Ole Miss or Kentucky. Mm. Like I'm surprised to see Ole Miss have the fourth best. That's what I was going to say. Win, is Ole Miss is the them. biggest shocker to me. And also, like Kentucky they're plus four thousand. And Kentucky and Florida ahead of Tennessee. Like I'm just I, that that baffles me personally. I would, I almost would put Tennessee ahead of of A and M. Like just because of Alabama. Like I think I think when you're coming out of the East, I think there's a better chance that someone not named Georgia comes out of the East. Then someone not named Alabama comes out of the West personally. Hmm. So I think that right there, I would put te- I would personally put Tennessee's odds higher than Texas A and M for that reason. That's interesting. I hadn't considered that. Um, I mean, Kentucky's just got so many question marks. You have a new OC, uh, Rich Gangarello, who was the uh, quarterbacks coach at uh, San Francisco this past year, and they brought in uh, the offensive line coach there to coach them, and they're replacing Ali and Wandale out wide. I mean, I don't know. Like, Kentucky, we'll see. But Kentucky, even when they're good, they still can't beat Tennessee. Uh, they were a better team all last year. They won 10 games, and they still can beat uh, Tennessee at home. And just the rivalry is just extremely lopsided. So until that happens, I'm not putting Kentucky above them. But Florida is the one where it's like Vegas, when you look at different Florida odds, there's something about Florida that Vegas likes, and I don't know what it is. Like, is it just Richardson has this ultimate upside where they're just they think that there is a path to Richardson just being a, like the best. Like when people are talking about Jackson Dart and Spencer Rattler and uh, insert player name here in the SEC, Max Johnson, they're like, well, we actually think our intel tells us that Richardson might actually be the best of the bunch, and that he might be the best gamble of the bunch, and. I don't know. Like he had a good spring game, and he's definitely the most. Um, he he's like the highest upside, I think, of everybody in that group. Um, best case scenario, so maybe that's what it is. It's like he's a best case scenario guy, and that's scary if you're a Tennessee yeah. Kentucky fan. And I wonder how much it's like. Does Vegas like Florida? Does Vegas like Anthony Richardson, or do they know the general public is going Love to Anthony pick Richardson. Florida, or mm-hmm. yeah, or is gonna get excited about this guy who's a who's a great athlete it's got a strong arm like mm. that's just that's what gets people excited right so i don't know it, it's hard to know because that's the general public is what's in mind when vegas mm. sets these odds i just florida's schedule is not is is no joke like i remember mm. when we were going through um you know those teams with losing records last year the ones most likely to to have a winning record this year and i said florida and then right when you you uh, responded with their schedule, I'm like, you know, I don't, I'm not so sold on Florida now that I think about it. So, mm-hmm. like, like just looking at their schedule with like Utah, Tennessee, uh, A and M, LSU, Georgia on there, like that's not even including Kentucky and South Carolina, who like those are honestly toss up games coming into 2022 mm-hmm. for Florida. So Florida's got way too many 
just question mark games on there to be what six the six best odds to win the sec like i just i don't see that this year mm. Ole miss is the team i'm just confused about like i feel like i'm missing i'm i'm like i'm questioning my own thoughts about Ole miss because i see so much positivity about them and i'm just not sure they're going to repeat what they did in in 2021 i would agree i also think that just giving them better odds in Arkansas is silly. So they're plus 4,000 and Arkansas is plus six. Like I, yeah. I just don't see Ole Miss being better than Arkansas this upcoming year. Like I don't, I don't like those odds. Um, A&M at plus 1200. I mean, I don't, I don't love that. I don't know. Like, hmm. would you, it sounds like, so you're saying it's way more likely that a team in the East dethrones Georgia than a team in the West dethrones Alabama. Yeah, I just like I think A and M like right now like neutral site game A and M and Tennessee tomorrow. I'm gonna take Texas A and M, but like I don't know how Tennessee. That I guess uh, I'm going waffling back and forth now because Tennessee does have Georgia and Alabama on their schedule, so yep. that's that makes it a little bit different coming out of the East. So I feel like A and M does have an edge on Tennessee. I just don't see them getting out of the West with with like with less than. With less than two losses, honestly. Yeah. And that's what it's going to take. Like, Alabama doesn't lose two games in the regular season. Like, I think they did with uh, Tua's last year when he got hurt and, and Mac mm. Jones took over. Like, I think that's the – maybe their only two-loss regular season since uh, Cam Newton's mm. uh, national championship year. I think they went like, lost, like, three games that year. So, Alabama's not going to lose more than one game. So, A&M to win the West has got to go 11-1. and one. And I just I don't think I see that happening. Here's the money: eleven and one, and beat Alabama. Yeah, I think the the money throw is uh, Tennessee at plus six thousand or uh, Auburn. I think at plus fifteen thousand. Like Auburn is the one where it's like if everything goes right, like Auburn they they played Alabama close last year. Like it, they're a shot in the dark, man. Auburn is the mercurial. Just who who freaking knows, man? What happens this fall with Brian Harson and company? Like they're all Boise now, and they had the weird off season from hell. Like what if Zach Calzada is just the perfect fit for what uh, Brian Harson's trying to do? And they're able to keep t- uh, Tank uh, Tank there, so maybe that that all just works the right way uh, See, next if- year. If I'm going for that plus fifteen thousand long shot, yeah, I, I think I go with South Carolina. Oh no! Like Auburn is oh, obviously no. their ceiling is way higher than South mm-hmm. Carolina when they when they're good, but it goes back to that East thing. They got Georgia at home this year. Like, I don't think South Carolina is gonna gonna go eleven and one by any means. I don't. Mm-hmm. I think those teams are appropriately down in ninth, tenth, eleventh uh, best odds to to win the SEC, but. I, I would probably take Arkansas. I think Arkansas mm. seems like a good like dark horse in terms of just yeah like big big return on your on your bet at what plus plus six thousand as well. So mm. I don't know. It, it's hard to envision anyone other than Georgia and Alabama being in the SEC championship when December comes. But um, mm. I, I w- if if I had to take one team on this entire list to win the SEC that's not Georgia Alabama, I honestly think I would take Tennessee. Interesting. I mean, everything Tennessee comes down to Florida. Like, whatever happens in week four against Florida is just going to define the season. And um, there's just so much pressure going into that one. It's like, if you're not beating them this year at home in Neyland, 
when are you getting over this hump? When when is it happening? So I don't know. We'll see. I mean, I'm excited for it, but it uh, we still got several months to go. And uh, without a doubt, a ten win regular season for Tennessee, and um, the the Vols are officially back. You know, they don't, may not want to proclaim it like like Sam Ellinger or anything, but mm-hmm. I think a ten win regular season would just be an absolute home run for Tennessee this year. Ten win regular season is an SEC East berth, like championship berth. Because that means we're beating one. Uh, like, we're not, like, I don't but think. But see, no, you go 10 wins and lose to Alabama and Georgia, and Georgia's 12 and 0 or 11 I think they split those. Like, Tennessee would be would split that in a 10 win season. I don't think they just lose to the two best teams in the conference. I think if they go 10 and 2, something like that, it's like they beat, they upset Georgia or something, and then lose the dumbest game possible to, like, Kentucky or Florida or. See, but um, you're not getting like in the SEC championship doing I guess that, not. though. You, I feel like you got to. That's true. Yeah, I get I need you Georgia have to, to go beat away. Georgia. I need Georgia to go. <laughs> you got to beat Georgia for sure if they're going to be in the mm. SEC championship. And in Athens, I don't know if this is necessarily the year to do that. If it was in Knoxville, I think I think this that would be a, a, a an upset candidate for sure. Like I've already seen, I don't know if it's that SEC Mike uh, guy on Twitter mm. um, throughout South Carolina beating Georgia week three. So like it is it is in Williams Bryce Stadium, but. Um, that, game that was more of a Mark Rick thing. And I mean, I yeah. guess you had the and one. Steve Spurrier, too. Yeah. I think it was really, it was Steve Spurrier. I think that's mm. what so many South Carolina fans, like, I think that's what kind of gives them a, a warped perception of, of how good their program can be. Mm-hmm. Is like, Steve, it took literally the greatest coach, or one of the greatest coaches in, in college football history to have to make this program competitive right mm-hmm. like i mean they're more than competitive winning 11 games like three years in a row like winning the east one year like they were really good but it took it took just all kinds of tricks up the old ball coach's sleeves right like he just he just has a way and then obviously georgia having a couple key players uh suspended for one of those early games usually helped out south carolina as well but i think i think that like Shane Beamer is like, oh yeah, we got our guy again. We're gonna be right back to, to you know, competing with Georgia every year. And I'm not sure it's that easy. I think uh, Steve Spurrier, they might not really realize how how good of a coach, how great of a coach Steve Spurrier was. Like this schedule is tough. Like here's my I, take: they're not going to a ball game. Like they're winning five games. Mm, like they're not going to a ball game. I mean, their schedule is brutal. Was it? Who do they have from the West? They again? finished it's, their season with Florida, Arkansas? Tennessee, and Clemson. Oh man! And Florida they and Clemson are on the road. They got AM and Arkansas yeah. from the West, and they're gonna have Georgia, and they're gonna have Clemson on the schedule. That's 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 gonna be brutal. It's yeah. I could see them being a good team and and winning seven games, but I don't know. It'll it'll be interesting. I think they do make a bowl game though. I guess they do put in five set five and seven teams in bowl games now. <laughs> they um, might, so, yeah. yeah, that's how they get in. Uh, Matt Green, they gotta put play. someone in the Birmingham Bowl. Exactly. Uh, new stadium. They got to fill it. Uh, new stadium. Is it still there. the Birmingham Bowl? I feel like they changed it last year to something. But I just want. I feel like it's like the. It's the pinnacle of like the irrelevant bowl game. Like at least the Bahamas it. Bowl. Like you get to go to the Bahamas. Yeah. Like. What was that Toledo Middle Tennessee State this past year? Who was that? Uh, I don't I'll, remember off the top of my head. I'll take your word for that one. Um, Matt Green. We can find you on Twitter at Matt underscore W underscore Green. All kinds of great college football content over there. Even when you're not uh, egging on other folks, when I disagree with our friend of the pod, late kick uh, with Josh Pate on head coaching <laughs> eliteness. But uh, Matt, 
Thank you as always, my friend, and I'll talk to you next week. Yes. All right, we're back here on the Chase Most Podcast, where I am now joined by my good friend, Mr. Stats by Will, Will Warren. Will, good evening, sir. How are you? I'm doing well today. How are you? I won't lie to you. Uh, it's been a busy day. I've had a lot of lot going on. And before we jumped on this uh, uh, podcast this evening, I took a power nap. Mm. I'm not a power nap guy, and I've been awake for not very long. I I, I put on some can queens, some delightful can queens, one of my go-tos. <laughs> love, love Kevin James and that uh, Jerry Stiller dynamic. It's one of my favorite soothing things in my life. And... Uh, I took a quick siesta. Uh, finals are uh, kicking my tail and uh, had a lot going on. I did not sleep well last night. So I don't know. Long story short, Will, I was wondering if you would notice that I was like, uh, my energy level is not up at the moment. So I'm kind of like, uh, I'm, I'm bouncing back into reality a little bit here. Jeb Bush, low energy over there. <laughs> no, uh, no, I didn't notice anything other than normal. So, but I do have a question. Do you... Mm-hmm. So I what I try and nap sometimes. I don't do it very often. It's like monthly maybe. Mm. Do you listen to something or try and watch something or read beforehand uh to try and get like sort of in the, you know, sort of wound down a little bit to nap or do you just try and go in, you know, no matter what? So the fiance, she we're wired completely differently where she when she reads that like puts her to sleep in the ne- like in a 10 to 20 minute span. For me, she knows when I've been reading because I'm like bouncing off the walls. So for me, mm-hmm. reading actually is a, a is something that actually gets me going, and it's um it's the exact opposite of the effect of alcohol. It's not a downer; it's an <laughs> upper for me. Um, so I like I am one of those people uh, when like for instance, I'm reading Camino Island by Grisham right now. And uh, the way he writes, especially, is a way where you're like, okay, well, well, I'm already 50 pages in. Might as well just keep this train moving because he is such a direct, uh, clear, uh, concise, like, here's point A to point B to point C. And you're just like, okay, this is it just flows so well. And he's just such an expert writer. And I, I just, I, I really do love reading Grisham stuff. And I'll, I'll look at the clock and I'm like, oh God, I've been reading for two and a half hours straight and like completely lost track of time. And yeah. uh, that's how I am though. So reading is the the antithesis of relaxing for me. So if I want to pass out and get a quick nap in, that's not what I'm going to do. I'm also not a napper. So I've always mm-hmm. been like, uh, I've always struggled even since I was a baby as my mom who's listening to this can attest to uh, was never a napper uh, growing up. But uh, with what I got going on, I need to, I like to force myself to get some naps in these late NBA stuff that I have to watch. Or if I'm behind, like I watched the Preds super late cause I had that DVR and I was <laughs> watching that and taking notes and, uh, you know, I just got to squeeze in some naps when I'm, uh, doing finals and the pod and everything else. So for me, I can't sleep in silence. So that's the one thing is I have to have something on in the background or I, I just end up staring at the ceiling and then think about 93 different things that could happen to me in a 24-hour time span. So I need uh, I need something else in the background to, to soothe me. But it has to be something that I've seen a bunch of because if it's something that my brain has to pay attention to and listen to the dialogue, it doesn't work. But I've seen King of Queens, Seinfeld, and Arrested Development so many times that it puts me to sleep. I've, I went like six straight years of arrested development putting me to sleep i could quote season one through <laughs> three uh without without fail one thousand percent 
Interesting. See, so yeah, I, I will at night sometimes I'll put on a YouTube video to fall asleep to in the background. There's this guy on uh, YouTube called Geography King. Okay. Who is terrific. Mm -hmm. uh, he'll like do geographical histories of various states. Okay. Shockingly really easy to fall asleep to. <laughs> so sometimes we'll toss those on. He's got a good one on Tennessee. Uh -huh. um, but that and then uh, not so surprisingly, if you put on like a baseball game really quiet in the background, uh -huh. like not one you have any vested interest in, just like, I don't know, Rockies athletics or something. Mm -hmm. That's a, that's like a surefire within 10 minutes. I'm asleep thing. There's hmm. something, there's something about like the audio quality of it where it's like, it feels just AM radio enough to make me feel comfortable. Just AM radio enough. Yeah, I could see that. I could see that. Um, well, well, we're objective. One second. Yeah. I have to let Cedric out of the room because he's whining to have the door open. Cedric does not want to be a part of the pod. See, I have Khaleesi in here too because Khaleesi, the dog, gets upset if I like close the door and she's not inside. Like she doesn't actually want to be in this room right now. She just yeah. wants the option of coming in the room. But when you close the door, she's like, oh, it feels like you're shutting me out and that's not going to work. And then even though she does not want to be in here with the door closed, so... Just uh, some great animal logic uh, taking place. Precisely the same with Cedric. If I close this door, he will start scratching the door, mm -hmm. demanding it be open so he can come in for two minutes and then leave again. Exactly. It, what, what is, why do we put up with these animals? Uh, they don't even the pay best. the rent. They don't pay the rent. A lot of freeloading. Um, they really got to start picking up the slack. Um, inflation's <laughs> not going down anytime soon. It's time for Cedric <laughs> and Khaleesi to... Uh, be be readily aware of the current gas prices. Um, <laughs> Will, we have some great stuff to talk about on this podcast because we did not know ahead of time. I knew that Phillips was going to make a decision this, today, but mm -hmm. we did not know that it would be the Tennessee Volunteers who end up with their five-star. Uh, we didn't know if this was going to be the case. We talked about Tennessee last couple weeks and where they were at with their depth and what this season was going to be like if Key is just the only big new get on this roster, even though they're returning a lot of guys. Like, is there going to be a lot of pressure on B.J. Edwards? But, hey, five-star on the way. What do you make about Mr. Phillips choosing the Tennessee Volunteers? I mean, I think it's, like, pretty, pretty big, right? I think mm. this shows... Uh, two things. One, uh, I mean, we can't be naive here. NIL played a factor. Mm. I think that's pretty obvious. Uh, it's going to be obvious for any top 25-ish recruit going forward. NIL is going to be massive for swinging them to your school. So uh, I think after some initial worrying signs with how the Uri Collins thing went, mm. Tennessee seems to have its ducks in a row on the NIL front, which is good. I think you, I mean, is that necessarily how I want college sports to be viewed? I don't know. But is that just like a fact of how teams will have to recruit going forward? Yes, 100%. And so Tennessee seems to have gotten that done. But the key here is, you know, this is honestly, it's obviously great talent-wise for the team, but it's great perception-wise too. Because I think, you know, Phillips may have said that the G League was, you know, the third in the trio of teams he was more or less narrowed down to. But pretty much everybody knew this was between Tennessee and Auburn. Mm. And you would be forgiven if you said Tennessee's not going to win a recruiting battle with Auburn. For them to do this by whatever means it took is a great sign because this sort of stems or, you know, stops the uh, the bleeding a little bit in the recruiting process. It helps you regain footing 
on par with what Auburn has been doing lately. I mean, we did just get done with the season where Auburn, depending on how the combine goes and whatnot, may have had the number one overall recruit on their, or I mean, number one overall pick on their roster. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, to to get Phillips, who I don't know that he'll be the a Jabari Smith level guy, but pretty much everyone seems to insinuate that's going to be a likely first round pick next year. Having that uh, is great, you know, for the team itself and really great for, I mean, year over year now, you can say if it works out the way everybody will be hoping it will, this will be four out of five years where Tennessee's had at least one first round pick on the team. And that establishes you, you know, not necessarily as a blue blood or whatnot, but establishes you as one of the premier power programs in college basketball. Because this means now you've overturned the roster multiple times, yet you keep having these guys come through and have legit success with your program. So I think this is huge for Tennessee. I mean, I mentioned last time out, I thought they were a borderline top 10 team. I think this solidifies them as somewhere between 6th and 10th heading into next season, which after a season where they wrapped, I believe, at 7th in Ken Palm. I mean, back-to-back top 10 Tennessee teams, it's just you got to keep trying and trying and trying until eventually the the cookie crumbles your way or whatever. I lost my metaphor train there, but uh, the point being, I think this is huge. I mean, this is a situation we'll get, we'll get into comparisons here in a second, but this is a situation where you can realistically say this allows Josiah Jordan James to start at the four, right? Yeah. Because now Phillips can be the three. You can turn the two full time over to Vescovy and then, mm your point can be either Zakai or a portal guy, depending on how they want that to shake out. But, I mean, this is a great uh, feeling to me. I mean, you're heading into a season where you've got most of your main guys figured out. They'll still have to figure point a little bit, and I know people have center questions, and we'll see how that comes to fruition. But, I, I mean, this feels pretty good. No team in college basketball is ever going to have a perfect roster. But Tennessee's assembled a really good one for, you know, like the fifth try in six years. Yeah, and I think a lot of people make the jokes about, like, they're, it's like, Bruce Pearl's doing this, Bruce Pearl's doing that. And, look, I have a signed Bruce Pearl uh, just collection that my dad put together, like, literally off camera over here. One day I'll put it on camera. So, look, Bruce Pearl was a, a legendary figure here, um, sports renaissance woman, friends with uh, his daughter. Um, but, um, yeah, I it, it's interesting because Barnes now has six five stars uh, under his belt since coming to Tennessee, and that's more than Pearl, I think, uh, at Auburn since he's been at Auburn. And he he's recruiting well, and that was one of the questions, and – there's been a lot of folks who have talked about Barnes who've gotten frustrated with Barnes. And I, I think I have a different perspective on Barnes. And I think I look at college basketball a little bit differently than I look at uh, Tennessee football um, in a lot of ways, because I think the expectation should be different. Um, I don't think uh, they should be the same. And I think Barnes, like we, no one's happy about what happened against Michigan, even though undercover Michigan fan, uh, Will Warren was uh, (laughs) not, uh, totally unhappy about it. I've Um, already been evicted from a message board over this. So, (laughs) and rightfully so, uh, I, I'm curious because he, Rick Barnes 
we struggle with the offense. We struggle with, okay, yes, we're one of the best defensive teams. Next year, we should be just as good. Kumwa comes back. I do. Getting more playing time. Like, we should be even an even better defensive team. Um, and Phillips seems to profile more as a, a plus defender right away and someone that I think Barnes will will rely on a lot, uh, the, the better wings that we get matched up against in uh, the SEC. But I think by and large he has shown he's recruiting at a, a level and and winning in the portal in a level where it's like, look, we, I understand it's frustrating that we have not gotten to lead eight, the sweet 16 with Rick Barnes at this point, but he is still putting you in the conversation of like, Oh, before the, like before the year, we're a top 10 team again. Like you just said, it's like, we look like yeah. the top 10 Kim Pom team this past year. We're a top 10 Kim Pom team. I will in, my college basketball program, I just want because March Madness is so random and UNC just coming out of nowhere is a good example of this where it's like we were better than North Carolina. North Carolina just almost won the national championship. But by and large, it's a crapshoot. And you yes. might you, you have those games where you run into a Dickinson who just goes off and you the one time you need Kumwa during that run, you just don't have him. And it's like, okay, well, everything that could have gone wrong, us shooting just as horribly as humanly possible, that can happen in the tournament. That could have happened in the round of 32. It could have happened in the final four. It just unfortunately happened there. And the team, though, I mean, they win the SEC. They win the tournament for the first time in forever. And they're in the conversation now. Like, Barnes has this program in a place where he started with three stars um, when he first came in. And he developed those guys. And he earned the respect from folks of, like, okay, I can develop the Grant Williams of the world. And then we're going to build off that. And then I'm going to get the guys where it's like, hey, remember when I uh, recruited Kevin Durant? Did you remember this? Did you hear about this? Kevin Durant, (laughs) University of Texas. And now we just have things cooking where it's like the, the program is healthy and we're going to be in it every year. I think that is something that you have to be just comfortable with because you could be Florida, you could be Georgia, you could be so many other SEC programs right now where they're just, they would kill for this level of consistency that Barnes has put them at. And yeah, of course we want to go have have a deep run in the tournament, but there is something to be said about him being able to reload now year over year and prove that he can reload year over year. So it's like, oh, well, Rick Barnes adjusts at 67 years old to NIL and everything else. It's like, I think Rick Barnes is going to be fine. I think Tennessee is just going to keep rolling. I think uh, a lot of guys respect him. I think a lot of folks know that you can go to the league because, I mean, Springer first-rounder, Keon first-rounder, Kennedy's going to go first-round. Like, it's just there's a path if you're a five-star player to, like, if you're Phillips and you play with Barnes and you you give it your all, guess what? You'll probably be a first-round pick next year. So I uh, I think – this is just another good sign. I think uh, folks should lay off Rick Barnes for a while. And frankly, given the way the SEC as a whole is recruited this mm. uh, last couple of seasons, uh, it's probably the best conference for Phillips to try and test himself mm. against fellow uh, 2023 draft entrants. I mean, you got the Arkansas guys you can play against. Mm. Auburn's got some dudes. Uh, I mean, Kentucky, Kentucky. is always going to have mm. guys. The, and that's to say nothing of the various juniors and seniors littered throughout the league who are always tough to play against. I mean, mm. I think this Texas A&M team coming back is going to be pretty nasty to deal with, for example. So you've got a lot of good talent in this league, a lot of tough, you know, hard-nosed groups that you got to play against and find unique ways to beat each one. And so, I mean, I wasn't surprised he came down to two SEC teams after picking an SEC team in the first place, but... It's a mild and pleasant surprise to see Tennessee come out on top in one of these. And 
I think Tennessee fans should remember, as always, if he had picked Auburn, he would have been uh, Dollar Tree Darius Miles. But now that he is headed to Tennessee, he is a combination of Jason Tatum and Paul George. So are they going to see Mikael Bridges too? I saw Mikael Bridges was a comp for him. The yeah. they uh his um AAU guy I believe said uh, Trevor Ariza, and I was like, man, that would be pretty freaking good for a college kid. Yeah, I mean that's the kind of guy. That, that's like if you're Trevor Ariza, you're going top five, I think. Um. I also, people were brought up the Keon and Springer stuff from 2020. And I do wonder, like, if that's not a COVID year, what they look like. Um, and they both dealt with injuries throughout the year. But I don't know. I wonder if we could have that do-over, um, what those two look like in a normal season like last year. I I don't know. Uh, I'll always be a Keon truther. But um, I don't know. We'll, we'll have to see. And I'm, I'm just excited because I think it's going to be a different look and we're going to see where Barnes goes to fill out. Like you said, the now it's the guard depth and now it's figuring out what's the right rotation in the backcourt. And, you know, I, I'm not sure what the answer is yet, but uh, Phillips is going to help. He solidifies something else for this team. Uh, I'm not like the people who are worried about the bigs, like we're going to be fine. Like the bigs are fine. Like I'm not, I'm not worried about BHH being gone and more opportunity for I do. And like, the defensive lineups that Barnes is going to be able to throw out now is just going to be filthy. You thought like there's no, I don't think there's a path now for healthy to not be a top 10, uh, Kim Palm team in defense, uh, again, next year. Yeah. I don't see the path. They, they'll open top three. I would mm-hmm. say maybe, maybe not overall, but definitely on the defensive side. I would agree. Um, and, uh, just... before, before we move on, yes. Uh, two things on this, uh, okay. one, on the front court side, please remember that National Player of the Year, Oscar Sheboy, who plays for a team that lost to a 15 seed. Please don't right. forget that. The funniest thing that ever happened. Shut down by Euros Plavsic and Jonas Idu, uh, mm-hmm. in across three games. Uh, two, Tennessee, please don't raise the price of the Vol Pass this year. It's still the, big, the biggest bargain you can get at like any program in America. I cannot believe it exists. There you go. Well, maybe maybe we'll stay. We'll see. Um, well... Uh, there was a piece in CBA Sports that kind of that uh, I feel like is right up your alley because uh, Providence was uh, the cover My image favorite with team. Mr. Cooley. That you're you were a big Providence guy. I seem to recall this past year, big Providence believer. I call him Friar Will for a reason. They and they have good colors. I, I think colors. it works really well for them. So they have that. Um, well, they did their best underdog picks for the 2023 uh ncaa tournament and i thought this the teams that uh found themselves on this list were pretty fascinating what uh what stood out most to you who which team uh i think the the biggest pick here for me would be dayton Mm -hmm. i uh, i mean frankly i don't really follow odd stuff very often Mm -hmm. but i was quite surprised to see dayton uh like down there with the colorados of the world Mm -hmm. dayton returns 90 percent of minutes from a team that almost made the ncaa tournament I don't know that they're going to, you know, go crazy far, but it's a lot of talent on that team. They, you know, a lot of experience returning. They've done some good work recruiting. I still think Anthony Grant is a good coach. I don't understand why his stars fall a little bit, but I, I think that's a, a team that could be pleasantly surprising. Uh, and along with that, I think Miami is going to be really good. Uh, I know they had the weird Isaiah Wong situation, but them getting Nigel Pack from Kansas State was a surprise. I did not see that coming. The odds there, from what I had heard, were him going to Purdue. Hmm. But with him coming, I think Miami could honestly open in the top 25, if not top 20 next year. 
And if they're coming into March as like a five or six seed, their odds are going to be pretty good for a decent advancement. But one team that's not on there that I would like to point out as somebody I am believing in is San Diego State, who's along those similar like 150 to one lines. We talked I feel about like I'm responsible week. for this for the pod last week. Yeah. Quit yelling. <laughs> that's enough, dude. I'm not talking to Chase podcast listeners. I'm talking to my cat. But San Diego State, a mm-hmm. um, lot of talent returning. If you go to Torvik's site, he has them mm-hmm. 14th overall right now heading into next season, which I think is a bit aggressive. I would you know, probably lean more towards like the low-end top 25 side of that equation. Mm-hmm. But for a Mountain West team, that's still quite the spot to be in. I mean, it's not like you're coming in here as even a Pac-12 side where you've got sort of the built-in recruiting advantage and TV advantage to you know have that year-over-year ranking. They're going to have a unique combination of really good coaching, uh, a secondary scorer, which they didn't have last year, and the same guys who uh, have become this defensive monster over the years. So I think of them as if the Mountain West as a whole can just figure it out one year, I think that that's a team that could go fairly far. But yeah, I mean, Dayton, Miami, San Diego State, those would kind of be the three, quote, long shots that I've got on my radar heading into six months from now. I don't know how you throw LSU on this list. Can they fill out like half the roster before you throw out LSU? My my thought behind that was that more or less their roster is just Murray State's from last year. And yeah. Murray State was quite good. So I guess that's a thing, yeah. That that was my that was my assumption is that's why they're on there is that it's just Murray State, whoever came back is going to be in that team. Mm. Um but yeah, I don't really see it for them. That's kind of like I don't know. There's not really a documented case of a team overhauling literally the entire roster and like being really freaking good the next season. I know Iowa State sort of mm. went 70% of the way there this past season, but like they had a couple of returners and prior to them sort of, you know, having a defensive hot streak at the right time, they were dead tired, dead cold headed into March. I mean, they mm. were awful down the stretch of last season. So, yeah, I, I don't know that I would see it with LSU. And they, I mean, yeah, uh, that's that's a very strange situation where I would just, I'd have to see it to believe it, even for them to be like a top 40 team. I uh, I would tend to agree. I will say it's, it's conflicting that we have to uh, quietly root for Coach McMahon being an Oak Ridge guy. Well, uh, he's a, he's a very good dude. Mm-hmm. Very good guy. Yeah, we don't want that at LSU. What are we doing? Um, what are we doing? You could always give him like three years to be really good, and then he uh, escapes. There you go. Let's hope. Fingers crossed. Uh, apologies, LSU fans, but uh, they're, they will wait. What What are you gonna do? Um, well, you know what's actually kind of crazy? I just thought about it. It's just if we had gotten a couple years of Brian Kelly and Will Wade as the two premier <laughs> coaches at LSU for a while. Oh, Goodness I didn't even gracious. think about that. Um, that would have been some some wild times the cringe the cringe overload that we could have seen over a couple years um in baton rouge but uh let's transition well let's transition to the next thing i wanted to throw at you which is your favorite thing this is one of our other big ones we're doing the kim pom top 25 season in review and i want to hit on the team that i just i am ready for your takes, it was a game that uh, did not happen this year for the Tennessee Volunteers um, in Nashville. 
where it should have happened at uh, the Preds Arena. Did not happen. Canceled at the last minute. All kinds of hysteria about why it was canceled and the fallout from it. But it's the Memphis Tigers, um, and they finished 24th in Kimpom, which kind of surprised me um, as a whole that they ended up there. But um, what did you make of last year's Memphis Tigers, and do you think there is reason for optimism going into next season for Penny Hardaway's team? Well, you can kind of split their season neatly into two halves, right? I Mm -hmm. mean, there's those first 19 games where Money Bates played 16 of them, and they were 11 and 8. You know, that includes, like, that awful road loss to Georgia, who's the worst SEC team in a decade. Mm. Pretty bad road loss to Ole Miss, who didn't come up Rose's East Carolina on the road, Tulane away, UCF away. Um I know, like, the Murray State loss at home ended up being fine, obviously, but there's Mm. just a lot of bad play littered in there. And for a team that, you know, entered the season, if I recall correctly, something like 12th or 13th in the AP poll. So, you know, Mm. you're expecting them to go, like, Sweet 16, Elite 8. And, you know, January 27th, they're 66th in Ken Palm. That's quite the dive. And then, you know, out of nowhere, Money Bates has this injury, sort of quasi-ops out, Mm. in a way I, I mean i would say like it was clearly he was injured i would i think that's legit but there's also part of it of like considering how quickly he transferred after the season mm. i don't think it was like he was rushing to pay play for memphis again given how miserable his experience had been to date and i mean literally from that game which was january 27th it was like a switch flipped and the season just completely turned on a dime they went 11 mm. and 3 the rest of the way uh demolished absolutely demolished the elite eight Houston Cougars at home and on the road, pulling off the sweep. The only team they lost to down the stretch that wasn't either number two in Ken Palm Houston or number one Gonzaga was SMU and SMU was a tournament level team for a while there. So, I mean, they, they really seemed to rediscover, you know, just how good they had been at defense in past seasons. It felt like the intensity sort of dialed up once Bates left Jalen Duran was phenomenal down the stretch for them. They started getting some quality contributions from Nolly, from Williams, from Tyler Harris, who came back, little five foot nine, one hundred forty eight pound Tyler Harris. And they just they were a killer on the boards. They were fifth mm. in offensive rebounding. They were fifth in block percentage at the rim. And so it was like any time you touch the paint, whether on defense or on offense against them, you were really pressing your luck. And I mean, Memphis was more or less one half away from beating Gonzaga, Mm. uh, which would have been insane to have said two months prior. So I think that's good for them that they had this turnaround. It was the first time in the Hardaway era of four seasons where you could see the proof of concept. I know they Mm. won the NIT or whatever, but I'm sorry to tell you, nobody cares about the NIT and nobody ever will. Uh, The point of that, though, is that you know, it didn't carry over at first, but the guys who led that run sort of, you know, re-energized the team, got things rolling again, and it just looked so much better down the stretch than it did for, you know, a large stretch of that season. So, you know, whether that will carry over into this next season, I'm not entirely sure, frankly. I think they're, I mean, they lose almost 80% of their minutes, so I, I don't know how that's going to work out for them, but they got Kendrick Davis from SMU. Lester Quinones comes back. The rest of the roster is a lot of question marks. Mm. So I'm not sure how that's all going to shake out. But I mean, frankly, at this point in year five of Hardaway, given all the promises and given, 
that we did finally see the proof of concept last year, the expectation for it should be a repeat tournament appearance. Is it a bad sign what happened with Bates? Does that raise a red flag? Maybe. But it's a question of, had Bates gone to Michigan State, for example, could this have Mm. happened there? Because we've seen these high-profile guys flame out elsewhere. It's not just Mm. like a unique Memphis problem. And given how well Duran played the back half of the year, I mean, it seemed like he figured out under the tutelage of Hardaway and Larry Brown and squad. So I wouldn't entirely place it upon Hardaway that that didn't work out. But I, I think it's, frankly, it's more worrying that they handed it over to him in the first place because... If you remember last November, heading into the season, the expectation was that the offense was going to be built around Bates. Mm. And at no point during those, you know, first 16 games he played, did it make any sense for anything offensively to be built around him. He looked Mm. like a deer in the headlights. He looked completely lost. And it's, you know, it's a question of how could you have gone through fall practice and not realize that? Mm. How could you have gone through camp and not, not seen some sort of worrying signs that when the lights turned on, this wasn't going to work. And for him to sit out for, for that to take the team to turn around is, you know, that's weird to me and it could be a small sample thing, but uh, I, I don't know. I think I, I want to see how this year goes because now mm. we've seen this one good season where they got hot for two months and it really did work excellently for them. But can Penny make that work two straight seasons? Because I mean, this was year four, and the last two months of the season were the first time in four years that we've seen anything resembling a good offense from them. It's also kind of wild. I was pulling up their uh, recruiting rankings for 2022. It's going to be very different than what they just did. Uh, They only have two commits right now, but they're 91st. One (laughs) four-star, one three-star for 2022. Yeah. I mean, I I would say, frankly, I, I don't think... I don't think anybody's going to have them as the American favorite going into next year. I think Houston's sort of the agreed upon number one. Houston might be the best team in the country next year. They they really could be. And that's mm-hmm. like that's another thing to think on. But it's like Memphis is going to have some pretty stiff competition just to be mm-hmm. second. Like Tulane returns a lot, and they have Ron Hunter as head coach, who I adore. Um, Cincinnati, year two under Wes Miller. I'm interested to see how that works out. Temple could be stingy again. So I, I want to see... If Memphis can, you know, assuming that they're likely, and not to say it won't happen, but likely going to be not the best team in the American, can you be a strong number two behind this Houston team that everybody, I think, correctly believes is one of the six best out there? Mm. Is Wes Miller related to the other Millers? I don't know. That's a good question. I wanted to pull that up because when you said that, I was like, I... He came from Greensboro and he was there forever, but um Wes Miller is related to a Monmouth basketball player named Walker Miller. Ooh, Walker Miller, that is a basketball player name. Yes. He definitely shoots threes, liability on defense. That's the that's the Walker. Um did you see like positive signs that when you watch Memphis this past year that was like, okay, Penny's offensive like it this is starting to feel more like a team. They're running stuff that just seems like it's more conducive to real opportunity and that this should be a tournament team next year and that he's figuring some stuff out, or do you think they're still running into the same kind of problems and he's not evolving enough? So what's strange is that the the two seasons where I'd say this has at least somewhat worked, the NIT year and this past season, mm. 
is that the offense looked like complete garbage for three months. Mm-hmm. And then both times there's been this public sort of mea culpa of sorts from Penny where he's like, okay, I've been taking too much control. I'm going to let it, the players take the reins. Mm-hmm. And it's like, as soon as that happens, the offense works. Mm-hmm. Because I, I mean, I noticed, especially watching the Iowa state game back in November, that was like the first sign. I was like, Ooh, this doesn't look so good mm-hmm. when they were getting, you know, smoked off the floor by what was a good Iowa state team, but still alarming to lose by 20. Mm-hmm. Um, when that happened, the first thing I noticed was, how static everything looked. It was like if players knew they had to be in a certain spot at a certain time and were way overly focused on that. Mm. Like they were not allowing themselves to play basketball. They were having to play the mind game before, you know, running the possession. And Iowa State, who had a great defense, was feasting on that. Memphis was spending possession after possession, draining the clock down to six, five or six, having to hoist up a miracle shot. Uh, it would, and hope for a rebound or hope they got fouled. Mm-hmm. And it once we got to the tournament, and really when they were playing Houston, it seemed a lot more free-flowing. It seemed like the players you know, had played their way sort of into shape, as we used to say with James Harden. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, it just seemed a lot more comfortable. And so I don't know, because I'm not a coach, so I'm bad at sort of analyzing this, but I would like to reach out to one and say, is there a way that you can teach your players to be, you know, more in the flow, less focused on sort of a structure and saying, you know, hey, you know, we're going to play this, you know, motion offense like Tennessee runs. Mm-hmm. But I'm not telling you you have to be in spot X at this mm-hmm. specific time every time to make this play work, because then that leads to overthinking. Mm-hmm. And that was sort of, you know, that was the indication I got from Memphis. It was just like way too much went into this. And once they scaled it back, things got better. What Can they do it? Like, can he get to where Houston is or what Kelvin Sampson's got running there? Can he do that? Ne- never say never. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, Kelvin's got many years on him. Yeah. And honestly, a much better track record of success everywhere he's been. I know... Mm-hmm. The Indiana thing happened in Oklahoma didn't end so well, but he's had success everywhere he's gone, and season things seems quite sustainable. But given where Memphis is uh, in a recruiting hotbed, of course, mm-hmm. it's hard to say that. Like, I don't think the Cal years are ever going to be. Uh, I don't think you'll ever be able to repeat what Cal did, for example, unless mm. you have that superhuman combination of amazing recruiter and still very good coach. I don't think we would say Cal is the greatest X's and O's guy but he doesn't roll the ball out. He's very good. Mm. You would have to have Penny evolve immensely as an X's and O's guy. I think he's getting better. And I think on defense, he's fantastic because that defense has been nails for most of the last three seasons. If he can ever scale it up offensively, which it's weird because this is Penny Hardaway we're talking about. Mm. Um, I think there is a path for him to be a really successful long-term head coach. And it would be very cool for Memphis to have that. It would be, I think it's just cool in general when Memphis is good. Mm. It's, you know, there's things like that in other sports. Like college football, I think, is a little bit better when USC is good. Mm. Because it it just makes those games more intriguing. So if you had a really good Houston and a really good Memphis, that'd be great. But I I think Penny's got to smarten up a little bit on realizing how important three-pointers are in today's Mm. game. Because the thing we talked about going into the last season... It was it was really hard to pick four good three point shooters on the roster, mm-hmm. and you know, 
shockingly, they made it to the end of the season ranking 70th in three-point percentage. So that was at least okay. But the vast majority of that was driven by, you know, Quinones and Tyler Harris. Mm -hmm. They didn't really have a third great shooter. They just had two really good guys, and the rest were just kind of somewhere between meh and okay. If they can get that third great shooter consistently every year, it's going to be like what happened with Tennessee. You know, Tennessee just became way more hard to guard when they started playing those three guys together. If Memphis found their three guys at one through three, I think it would be, you know, a much improved product. But I've I just got to see, see what they would look like if Penny did not get the five star one and done guys. Like you just don't mm-hmm. worry about the Wisemans and the Ebony Bates anymore and just like um, focus on um, just developing like some four or three stars and just see what they look like and just... I would love to see that kind of thing where they just develop and have the same collection of glue guys and see what this Memphis team can be in in that context. But I don't know if, like you said, there's just so much talent there that I wonder if that's not even like a possibility and that you kind of just have to figure it out and kind of do the whole, like there's five stars here. There are going to be five stars here for the foreseeable future and you're Memphis and you need to get the one and done and you need to get five stars in here every year. There's just a different expectation that it would be an indictment if this kind of recruiting uh, trajectory that he's on for 2022 continues where it's like, Oh, what's happening here? Are five stars no longer believing in penny? Do we need to shift direction? What are we going to do here? I don't know. I, I'm Memphis is a very interesting team going into next year. Yeah, and I think some of the recruiting stuff could stem from those NCAA troubles that seem to be looming. Yeah. They've got some of those level one and level two violations that nobody is ever excited to receive. But I think there's like a fine needle you can thread, right? Where you have mm. a few blue chip, like top 100 guys on the roster every year, but then you have your program lifers too. Mm. Like, I mean, this is not like a perfect comparison because he doesn't play that much, but like Penny's son is legit good. Jaden mm. Hardaway would probably start for a lot of mid-major programs. But because of how that roster is structured last year, he's playing like eight minutes a night. Mm. He's a legitimately very good basketball player. Like, mm. if you're able to get... It obviously helps because it's Penny's son. I imagine that was not a difficult recruitment. It would be like mm. trying. It would be like Jawan trying to get Jet Howard in. Um, if you can get those guys who are like, I know I'm not going to be in the NBA in two years. I'm willing to stick it out at Memphis for four then I think you can make it a little more sustainable down the road. Tennessee has seemed to find that sort of nice balance where every year you've got one headlining recruit, but along with that, you've got a BJ Edwards who's going to be here for three to four years. You have yep. the Zakai's or, you know, potentially like the, the other guys will be adding in this class. I know that they're trying to add a couple more. So you, you have those types where it's like you can get your blue chip guys, but you need to be able to build out depth too for longer term. You need the Jemai Meshacks of the world, is what I'm saying. There you go. You love Meshack. I I can see being a huge... The way Zakai was a fan base-wide favorite this year, mm-hmm. Meshack might be a Will Warren-wide favorite <laughs> in the 2023. We need to do that. That's a content idea for you. The Will Warren all, uh, all at college basketball team, all in CD. Yes, my, as long as my king... Uh, Jaime Hawkes Jr. comes back. He will be team captain. My favorite player in years. Um, We'll end on this. We'll do this for each Kim Palm uh, review. Do you think that the 2023 Memphis Tigers has a better or worse Kim Palm ranking at the end of the year than they did this past year? I'm going to go with worse. I'm going to say 
I'm not going to say significantly worse, but I'm going to say somewhere. Ooh, I don't know. Somewhere in like the low 30s, high 40s sounds right for them. Mm. Where it's like they're going to be good. I, I think they're still going to be talented, tough to play against. And frankly, again, they should make the tournament. But it's just about, you know, like, can Memphis fans be comfortable with Penny if we get through five years, all those recruits have come through, and the results are an eight seed and a 10 seed, for example? Mm. So I, I want to see how that checks out. I think they'll be worse, but not bad enough to like miss the tournament. I think they're they're going to have enough to get in. So I, if I had to pick a number, I'll say they finished thirty eighth. Ooh, okay. I wonder if there's some hot seat talk if they end up in that that zone for Penny next year. Uh, do you have any stats for us of the week, Will? Did you do you have a new stat for us this week? Uh, big stat of the week is I've yes. run twelve point uh, five miles so far. <laughs> there you go um how many days how many runs is that uh did you get did it take to get to that 12 uh three so i did four today five and a half yesterday three on monday Mm. and uh gonna do seven on saturday so that'll be my big one there the problem is that there's just like not a ton of big content ideas coming out right now it's just like this is sort of the doldrums of the basketball offseason where it's, I'm like waiting on guys to maybe come back to college or more than likely go to the pros. I was surprised that uh, Jelly Walker of UAB fame came back. Yeah. Uh, when he could have probably gotten a massive overseas deal. But why um, leave Andy Kennedy, our guy? I do. But I want Andy Kennedy back on TV. That's the thing. That's the true. SEC network broadcast, no offense, no offense to two great guys and Tom Hart and Dane Bradshaw, who are awesome. Mm but man, do I miss Andy Kennedy on those calls. He was so good. Mm. I seem to recall it's only post-Andy Kennedy that you're getting the SEC Network shout-outs, though, Will. Be That's careful. true. Don't bite the Andy, hand that feeds, It's man. just I have a connection to Andy Kennedy through a guy I know on Twitter who like worked for him for a while. Mm. So if I can just feed it up the chain, and four years from now, after winning the CUSA four times or, or whatever, yeah, CUSA, I almost thought they were in the American. Mm. And um, retiring on top, Andy comes back to the SEC Network or CBS Sports Network. I don't want also, to Also, they'll be in the Sun Belt next year, I think. Oh. I'm I have not followed the realignment stuff at yeah. all. They, the teams pop up in whatever conference they pop up when I check the websites, <laughs> frankly. The Sun Belt, man, is the fun belt. Sun Belt is my jam. I'm excited for it. Like UAB, uh, Southern Miss. Who else just moved to the Sun Belt going into next year? Uh, Marshall uh sunbelt's gonna be fantastic it's crazy to think coastal so think back like 10 years ago and the cusa was like the hot thing going mm. and then now where it's the sunbelt is almost like dead unlikely to surpass them as a conference in both major sports yeah it's just That's... uh it's sec adjacent and it's yeah. fantastic like i i love it there's just like a ton of talent i mean birmingham especially not a mm-hmm. shocker there's a, a new ton stadium of talent in and around alabama but that like just all those little towns like Mississippi is loaded with basketball mm-hmm. talent too. I mean, Louisiana, all of the like West Virginia's got some underrated guys too. That's how mm-hmm. you know Marshall put together that team that won a game in the tournament. That's just those schools have just little pockets of talent that they're able to build around. You find those diamonds in the rough, and you get a good roster going for years on end. Is that a coal mining uh, pun you did there, West Virginia oh, mines? No, no okay. it's not. I wouldn't mm-hmm. joke about coal mining. I'm just kidding. No. Um, no, I don't have anything super big stats-wise. But, yeah, running-wise, I 
I don't know. It's been good so far. I, it was really hot today at lunch when I ran, though. Not. It great. was extremely hot today. Uh, for people who don't live uh, in our zip code, yeah. I think it was. So when I got back to my car, you know, car readings are car readings, so they're not mm. entirely accurate. But it said 83, and that mm. honestly felt pretty accurate. I ran at 12. That was a bad and, idea. I, well, so I've been trying to do those lunch runs. Yeah to adjust to summer heat and humidity what's your bpm though when you're doing that 12 o'clock run 170 160 so my bpm mm-hmm. yeah your beats so in it. i'm pulling it up now so yeah today's average is 158 oh that's not bad i i, did, I peaked at 177 i want to get that down to where the average for those is like 150 mm. if i can get it down a little further to where it's not in such a because they're they have like various heart zones mm. this is real uh inside baseball stuff but like you know like you want to kind of keep it more in like 153 or lower for like a moderate heart rate when you're running 100 yeah but i can't do that like i struggle because i think it requires you pacing yourself a lot better than we're wired to Mm because i'll be in the 170 range for a little bit and i'm moving i'm at like a 7 10 pace and i'm like a mile and a half in but i'm at one and i'm like uh uh-oh this is <laughs> this is not good. Uh, I don't think that's. But it, it, it's so weird because you don't feel like you're overexerting yourself, but your your heart's like, hey, you're 31. Uh, don't uh, do this. This is a bad idea. But I, I don't know. I looked at it and that was the worst thing was googling like what your targeted heart rate should be when you're exercising <laughs> and running. And I'm like, yeah. uh oh, not really doing that. And I drink a lot of coffee, so uh, I don't know. Uh, it, it kind of freaks me out. That was uh, that's the downside of the heart rate monitors on the running apps. Yes. Like, when I was doing the uh, half marathon in Knoxville last October and it was crazy hot and crazy humid, mm-hmm. I was feeling good and I got to like mile four maybe, mile four or five. And I looked down at my watch and uh, the BPM read 189 and I was oh. like, ah, that, this is not going to last very long. And so like a mile later I was walking and I was like, I was feeling good, but it's, it just hits you real sudden. I can get up to, I'd say I can get up to like 175 plus without much pain. Once yeah. it gets to about 180, 185, I I really notice it. Yeah. Yeah, 170, I don't notice. Um, but I don't know. Maybe it's – I also do a lot of hills, which I don't know mm. if that exerts more. It makes that my does. heart – Yeah, so I think that's probably part of it too because I'm in the – this is some really inside baseball stuff. but uh, <laughs> It's all I, promo for my uh, running blog I'm putting out next week. There you go. Uh, yeah, no, I don't – I like – I wonder – now I kind of want to go run the Tennessee track and see because you bounce – on mm-hmm. that one and you fly so you your your speed's faster but i wonder if uh um my heart rate actually goes above what it is when i'm running up hills around my neighborhood and stuff i'm not i'm not certain which one would be faster we'll have to see uh stats by will we can find you on twitter stats by will go check out stats by will.com keep up with his running blog <laughs> that might be coming out next week and uh all that good stuff thank you as always my friend and uh i will talk to you next week yes talk to you next week All right, we're back here on the Chase Thomas Podcast, where I am now joined by Maryville's own. I I'm, I practiced saying Maryville so many times, Coach Derek Hunt, because, man, I, I have a lot of family from Knoxville. I'm obviously a UT uh, grad student, and Maryville is one of those where people look at you funny if you pronounce it incorrectly, and uh, I'm from Atlanta, 
and it's uh, it was a it, it's it's a different thing for me. But did I get it right? Is it Marvel? Is it like am I doing it correctly? Am I enunciating it properly? I think you're close. If not, right on it. I mean, it's okay. Marvel. M A R A, you know, well, Marvel. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, you're pretty close, and you're right. You can tell who's from Marvel and who's not when mm-hmm. they're Marvel when they when they pronounce it. So it's kind of funny. Absolutely. Well, thank you for doing this, man. Uh, how's spring ball going? Uh, I'm sure you're back in the thick of things. Are, are the kids excited about these temps? <laughs> Rocking it up real quick. Like we were in winter, it feels like, two weeks ago, and now it's just blazing here. I know. It's been crazy. We, we've kind of skipped spring, and I hate that because spring's mm-hmm. pretty nice here. But, but yeah, right back into spring practice and – you know, we're right at the end of it. So, uh, but it's been good. You know, we're, we're missing our track and baseball kids uh, as usual, just like everybody else is. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we've, our numbers are a little smaller, but still really strong. And um, it's been, it's been really good to get out there and see kind of what we're going to look like. What do you really look for in spring ball? Uh, I know a lot of coaches look for different things and there's only so much you can pull in the spring, but what are, what are, what's the main thing that you're looking for out of your kids in the spring? You want to give experience to those who didn't get to have it last year Hmm. so uh, we lost a really good senior class jason and and Hmm. uh, not just good football players but high character kids you know um, great leadership stuff like that and so we got to replace a lot a lot more than just you know football talent Hmm. and so we got a lot to work on but for spring at maryville we just want to give experience and reps to those kids that don't get you know, that big time experience and reps that we're going to be counting on. And mm-hmm. the, the, the great thing about spring practice is you always find those guys that are going to help you that maybe weren't on that list, like, you know, the top of your list, there's guys that come out of nowhere. So mm-hmm. anyway, um, that's, what's fun about it. We're looking forward to that. Is there something about last season that you're still thinking about? It's May 12th and we're taping this. Is there something, is it the Oakland game? And I'll ask you about that in a little bit, but is there, something that you're still thinking about from last year or something, the way that you, you practice and you're like, I want to do this differently in the spring. Is there something that you, you learned about last year that you were like, okay, this is still something I got to keep in mind this spring. Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, Not necessarily anything specifically, Mm. but there is always stuff that as we review last season or as I personally review it Mm. and a tweak, you know, we're always tweaking how we practice. That's, one of my favorite things to do is try to find out how we can be more efficient mm-hmm. our time. And then also, you know, offensively, that's the side of the ball that I, that I, you know, spend my time with. Mm. So I, we're always trying to tweak offensive schemes, you know, play, you know, formations plays to fit our personnel. So mm. you kind of who you're going to be this year you know who our best players are, things like that. And you have to learn a lot about yourself in spring. And then you're always trying to tweak and, and adjust to, to fit your offense, to fit your kids. Are you harder on quarterbacks than any other position just based on your background? Uh, yeah, without question. <laughs> you know, I think uh, that's my passion. You know, mm-hmm. I've told a lot of people I love being the head coach at Maryville, but I don't I don't like it more than coordinating an offense. And I love mm-hmm. quarterbacks, but I don't like it more than coaching quarterbacks. Like, that's that's my passion. Obviously, I got to play for one of the, the greatest of all time, you know, mm-hmm. in high school football and a phenomenal quarterback coach in his own right and, and i uh i learned a lot from coach quarles and so you know that's that's my passion that's what i love and got to do a lot of that uh, as i was a kid even working with younger um quarterbacks and or in high school i got to do that and so i've always loved it mm. 
Are you going to be able to have uh, like uh, some visits for playing or practicing on campus at ETSU or is, how is that relationship like uh, now that he's gone? Yeah. Well, so ever since coach Quarles has left, he's, mm. he's done a great job of reaching back out and checking mm. me. And that, that means a whole lot to me. Uh, we, you know, we talk, you know, probably once a week or once every other week, even still, mm. uh, like I said, he was a father figure for me in a lot of ways. And, you know, getting to play for him and then coach under him was so, so special. I realized how fortunate that I was to get to do that. You know, mm-hmm. from a coaching perspective, I was born on third base and I, I'm not afraid to say that, you know, so uh, I got to coach and play for one of the best. So, but he, you know, he means a lot to me. We still keep in touch. And, you know, I, I tried to get up there for, uh, for spring practice and I wasn't able to, but there's no mm-hmm. that I'll be there and, when he was at Furman, we would go down once or twice every year, sometimes bring our whole staff. And so that's always been special. Did you, following some a legend like that, did did you hesitate a little bit uh, before being like, okay, I'll, I can do this. I can follow Coach. Was that part of the conversations that you had with Coach Quarles and just maybe kind of like his faith in you kind of like calmed some fears about replacing someone? Because Maryville football is just such a big deal for folks. Uh who are familiar with East Tennessee high school football is just that it it's a big deal and it's a it's a big role and it's a it's a tough thing. Nobody wants to follow Nick Saban at Alabama. Nobody yep. wants to follow. Uh, I mean, at this point, Kirby at Georgia. But um, what uh, what was that like? And was that something that you had to really spend a lot of time thinking about and just talking with your family and uh, people in your circle? Yeah, I mean, so the answer is yes. Mm-hmm. There was definitely you know. Who would ever want to coach after Coach Quarles? And and to just to be quite honest with you, Chase, I was completely happy being an assistant coach, mm-hmm. Coach Quarles, for my career. You know, I, I you know, I, I thought, you know, maybe there might be a chance a long time from now when I was because uh, when he left, it was 2016, mm-hmm. December 2016. I was 26 years old. Yeah, and and so I I thought, well, maybe one time, one day, way down the road. I'll be the head coach at Maryville or somewhere else. Mm. Uh, but it wasn't like something that I was actively pursuing at the time when he left. Um, so when it happened, it happened really fast. It definitely crossed my mind. Is this something I really want to do? Because you mm. know, no matter what, you're going to be compared to one of the best high school football coaches in the United States for, the re- for, the re- for your whole career. You mm. know? Uh, but obviously, I got to spend a lot of time with him. He had actually just had hip surgery when all hmm. this went down. And so I remember going over to his house and we had some great talks. And, you know, looking back, like he had done so many things along the way while I was an assistant to, I don't want to say groom me, but, but um, he had done so much for me to prepare me hmm. for that, for this. And uh, it starts with our coaching staff. I mean, we've got hmm. a nominal coaching staff and everybody, on staff stayed with me when he left to go to Furman. So that was really special super mm. for me. And that made a huge impact on our success early on, uh, right after he left. But, um, but yeah, there was definitely some hesitation, but I just knew that I had to, you know, yeah. I, if you have the chance to be the head coach at Maribel high school. You've got to take that opportunity. Mm. And so I was excited for it and I knew that I could do it because of the help that I had and the kids that we had, the support of our community and school system, but also because I had been prepared by one of the best to ever do it. Do you remember what you were thinking when you were running out for that first game as the 
permanent head coach. That, do you remember what you were thinking? I don't remember what I was thinking, but I remember that night. I remember mm. being nervous um, and excited all at the same time, you know, mm. just all the, the butterflies and everything. And uh, I remember not calling my best game. Uh, that was the first game I'd ever uh, mm. called myself, you know, in a varsity game. And, and uh, But we won, mm. you know. We were down, I think, 21 to Catholic and came back and won 49-42. Mm. Phenom- I mean, I'll never forget that. That was, you know, winning that first game against a really good opponent um, was super fun, and mm. that's, that's something I'll never forget. That's cool. Uh, I think Corey, that was before Corey Mobs took that job, right? He, yeah. He came in after. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, he, he's actually a linear guy, uh, original yep. Georgia guy, but yep. um, he's been on this podcast, yeah, I think a couple years ago now, but um that's interesting what do you remember like what is what has changed in your play calling like so because you like like you said you were very comfortable just being an assistant and calling games and that's like your bread and butter you you love that and calling an offense and running an offense has your perspective on calling an offense changed since taking over the head coaching job like have do you see the offense a little bit differently um do you just have you noticed that just certain things have changed about that yeah for sure and that's that's one thing that you know, Coach Quarles and I talked a lot about, mm. you know, during that transition time was you've got to make it your own, you know. So I couldn't just be Coach Quarles or mm. try everything he was from an offensive perspective just because it wasn't going to work. I've got to be myself. And, you know, there were certainly some things that 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 I wanted to try and mm. see if it worked. And I learned some hard lessons that way, you know. But uh, What was but, one of them? Um trying too much early on, I think, mm. you know, um, and, but that's one thing that I learned from coach Quarles. He just, he did such a good job of trying to stay ahead of the curve. You know, so each year, you know, we, we may, we're not like wholesale changing our entire offense, but we were mm. always adding new wrinkles. And so we've not stopped that. We've mm. not that at Maryville. I mean, if you watch us from year to year, anybody who really knows football, if you studied every game that we, you could see the differences mm-hmm. every year in our offense, and a lot of it has to do with who our personnel is, who our mm-hmm. best player, who needs to get the football. But the other part is football changes too. Mm-hmm. So people learn and try and do new things that are a lot smarter than me. And mm-hmm. so you get and you steal it and you conform it to who you are and make it your own. And so a lot of what we do now, somebody else was doing and has been really good at, and we've just conformed and made it to who we are. How often are you uh, getting guys under center? Like, if you had to guess, uh, all your quarterbacks could they run uh, run the eye for four quarters in a football game this <laughs> no, fall? Could they do it? <laughs> no, not for four quarters. That they can do it. Every one of our guys can do it because short mm. yards. That's what we're. That's yeah. what we're. We have some heavy sets, you know. But Chase, when I was playing for Coach Corals at Maryville, eighty mm. percent of the time we were we You're were under center. Yeah, yeah, we were under. It was almost like uh, that's kind of when things started to change. My junior and senior year mm. is when we started going a lot of shotgun and and so my senior year we were probably more in shotgun than under center but when i started playing everything began under center mm. do you miss that do you do you miss that at all no i don't miss being under center you know <laughs> I, I miss playing for coach corals but is it uh, harder is it harder to be a quarterback under center versus from the gun um i wouldn't say harder no there's mm. definitely mechanics mm. uh, different you know different technique i mean we don't we don't spend a lot of time teaching a guy how to take a snap, although we do yeah. it now. Uh, but, but we don't spend, you know, used to, you'd get out there before practice every day and take 10, 15 snaps under center before you did anything else. <laughs> and that doesn't happen anymore. Yeah. You know? 
we don't do that anymore. So we spend a little bit of time practicing that, but you do it as you go throughout the week. Um, but yeah, no, there are some pros. There is no doubt about it. Even though the land, if you look at college football, mm-hmm. almost everybody's you know in shotgun a lot more. There's still teams out there who are under center, and especially in, in you know in the professional leagues, there's still mm-hmm. a lot of out there that go under center. And there's a lot of there's a lot of benefits and pros to being under center. As for as far as high school goes, you know, and what we want to do, it's just easier and more. Mm-hmm. I think um, you can limit what you do on offense and still be really good just being in huh. shock. So, what uh, what's the biggest lesson being the head coach at Maribel's taught you thus far? Who, um, I think I, I've learned to be vulnerable to mm-hmm. to rely on those guys around me, as on my coaching staff. You know, when I was twenty six, first year as a head coach. At mm. Maryland High School, you know, in my opinion, the best football program in the state, you know, the last 20, 30 years. Mm. You know, I wanted to do everything myself, and 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 I knew I couldn't do that, but at the same time, I still tried to have yeah. and in everything, and and I, I you know, I've but I've I've learned to be vulnerable and open up to those guys, and and we, you know, we have such a tight knit group on this coach. Mm. They are phenomenal. Some former head coaches, they're super smart guys. Um, some of the some of the newer guys that we've got, again, smarter than me, and that's the way I, that's the way it needs to be. Mm. So, um, you know, some great football coaches. But I've learned I've learned my my first five years that you know delegation is key, and you know leaders create more leaders. The best ones, mm. do. you know, they arm their subordinates with intent to make a difference. Step out of the way. They yeah. give them go do what they do and so it's it's important to to set the expectations and to 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 kind of get the boat going in the right direction and then to be very clear on how how we want to accomplish some things but then at some point you've got to get out of the way and let them do it and fortunately i've got great help and and those guys do such a great job do you see yourself getting more involved with the defense uh, in the coming years do you want to just really to kind of evolve as a head coach and to just make sure like to just out of curiosity really like you said you want to trust these guys and they have a job and you want to empower uh the defensive folks but is that something that you still want to ingratiate yourself more in and just really uh become more more involved in what's going on on defense no i don't (laughs) (laughs) i don't um learning about defense from an offensive perspective Mm -hmm. how do you attack it you know Mm -hmm. what and, and our defensive coaches do a great job of saying, hey, you need to keep doing this because it's hard for us. Okay. But – and in high school, it's different. There are some high school football coaches that, you know, 1A, 2A, 3A, you know, they don't have a choice. Mm-hmm. But coordinators of both sides or they have to coach the defensive backs and the running backs and stuff like that. And fortunately at Maryville, we don't have that. I mean, like, um, I'm not going to stick my hands into something that – I mean, it's just what we talked about. Mm-hmm. Just – like what I've learned, you know, we've got great coaches on defense. They do a great job. I'm not going to go in there and change everything when they're spending all of their time doing that. And I'd be spending a quarter maybe of my time, you know, like they, they're better than me at it. So why not let them do it? Um, and so, you know, I, yeah, I don't, I don't have any intentions. To go, <laughs> hey guys, we're, uh, we need to run more cover three dad. Young, yeah. You know, or anything like that. So, why are we in man? Why are we still in man? Yeah. Let's <laughs> They happen. I'll ask questions mm-hmm. all the time, um, but I don't ask questions. I don't ask questions to quick to criticize. Yeah, I'll ask them to learn. 
And so I always make that very clear to our, our coaches. If I'm asking you a question, it's because I want to know and I, mm. I want to learn. I'm curious. It's not to question what you're doing necessarily. Um, and our guys understand that. And we do such a great job of communicating. What's been the, do you have like one moment where, uh, since you've been head coach, where a fan, just because I just imagine that someone after a game or you're out to dinner with your family or someone stopped you and said something to you about a football game or a call that you made, is there one, is there one or two moments uh, since you've been head coach from a fan that they've said something to you that still sticks with you? I remember. Could be positive or negative. Yeah. Well, certainly there's been, we've got great fans. We've got great community support. So positive you know uh, yes a lot and Mm -hmm. and i really appreciate that and like i said we've got awesome maryville community they love maryville football Mm -hmm. and you know our this we've had this train rolling for a long time when it started with you know coach hammertree and then coach corals kind of obviously he you know set a lot of records so Mm -hmm. um people love maryville football there's been a lot of positive support the the one negative story i just remember in that first game uh I just remember, so I called a timeout mm. late in the first half, yeah. third and third and forever. We had sacked them. So it was mm. like third and 28. Uh, I call a timeout. We're down 21 to 7 maybe or 21 to 14. Mm. And, uh, and so we're hoping there's like maybe 30, 40 seconds left. We have scored a touchdown at the end of the first half at Maryville so many times. I mean, like it's it's kind of been silly and, and – <laughs> People talk about it in Maryville. Yeah. It's it's kind it's kind of silly how how often we do that, but we love to do it because it gives us a huge advantage. Obviously, you go into the half, you know, scoring a touchdown, a lot of momentum. Sometimes you mm. get the ball coming out, so you've stolen two in a row, that kind of thing. That's what we do. So I call a timeout, hoping to get the ball back, third and twenty eight, and and needless to say, we give up a big play. They mm. go touchdown. Now we're down twenty eight fourteen or twenty. I don't remember what. Anyway, we're down another touchdown going into halftime. Yeah. And uh, I, I remember distinctly getting <laughs> hammered for that one in your first game, uh, hearing some hearing some things coming on the way into halftime. But it was probably just one or two people. I'm sure everybody disgruntled. But mm. that's the way it is. That's what happens. I mean, everybody, even now, you can be up, you can be up 35, and people are going, you know, people are going to criticize, and that's just that's just the way it is. So you just got to expect that and get used to it. And I just laughed. I remember just laughing. It being my first game, we come back and won, so it worked yeah. out. Six, it's like 63 why not 70 Saban had this whole rant about that uh, a few months back about like how much they beat somebody by because they were they were just a fan was frustrated about like what we used to beat them by it's like it's hard enough to be getting these wins and just getting gobbling up these wins like just be happy with uh, with the victories with everything that goes into it um, what are you most excited about this fall Maribel well so one of the things that I love Mm-hmm. about Maribel High School and our football program, Chase, is that every year we have – I call them Maribel guys. I, I don't know mm-hmm. why, but it's just something I started to call it. But though, it's the guys that they work so hard for four years. And maybe, you know, as freshmen, they're they're average or, you know, maybe even below average players, but they just keep working their tails off, mm-hmm. keep coming to practice, work hard in off season, And then by sophomores, okay, they're getting to play some on JV, you know. Mm-hmm. Not varsity players at all, but they're getting play some on JV. Junior year, you know, maybe they're behind a really good senior, so they're still playing some JV, playing a little bit on Friday nights, but not much. By the time they're seniors, though, 
Mm-hmm. They've worked hard three off seasons in a row. They've changed their bodies physically. They've matured. They know everything about the position that they're playing because they've done it for three years for all the same coaches. And they have all state senior seasons. Like mm. that has happened so many times at Maryville. And it's rare mm. in society today because, I mean, if you're a good player and you're not starting as a sophomore or whatever, you just move. You know, mm. you're going somewhere else, pack your bags and leave. And so, um, so many times at Maryville, we have juniors and seniors that don't see playing time as freshman, sophomore, maybe even their junior year and have phenomenal senior years. And some of those guys even sign scholarships to play. Mm. football in college like that is just so special to me and i get so excited waiting to see who that's going to be this year we're going to have some there's no doubt about it and yeah had some last year and, and the year before and so that's one of my favorite things is the guys that work hard it's delayed gratification you know and the ones who are willing to put in that work and it pays off for them it's so much fun has the early signing period hurt you at all as a coach has it made things more complicated uh early signing happening in december versus uh february there's pros and cons to it as well Mm -hmm. you know yes sometimes it's tough but at the same time you know it's it's good not to have to deal with all those colleges coming in in december and january trying to flip guys who have already made decisions and dealing with all that stuff so there's definitely pros and cons to it. All mm. we can do is adjust and do the best we can for our kids. And we work really hard to communicate with college coaches at Maryville, you mm. know, our kids who are, who are, have the chance to play college football. I meet with every kid at the end of the season. Mm. And those rising sophomores and juniors, I'll ask them, you know, do you have a, intentions of playing in college? And if yes, we'll create a profile for them. You know, Coach Kenny Cobbles, our defensive coordinator, one of them, he, he helps me do a lot of this and he does a mm. great job. And so – we communicate directly with coaches. We do less on social media because I think that's a lot of fluff. Mm. Um, but we do a lot more communicating directly with those coaches, uh, especially the ones that recruit our area, trying mm. to find a fit for our kids. I, I think we work really hard for them, and I like doing that. Interesting. Um, do you like if you had to explain what happened in the Oakland game? What would you say if you could? Do you think if you have it back, it goes differently? What what uh what about that game still kind of sticks with you? Uh, the first thing I think about that game is our kids played their absolute guts out. Mm-hmm. And I was so proud of that. I mean, so the year before we got beat 42 to seven or mm. whatever, something like that. Like, I mean, they throttled us. It was one of the best teams I think that tennis, the state of Tennessee has ever seen. Like, they're just mm-hmm. really good. We ran into a buzzsaw and that happens. And so my goal the, the whole 21 season was we got to close the gap. I mean, mm-hmm. we got, we've got to figure out, I don't want to get beat 42 to seven again. I want to win, you know, first of all, um, and so that's what we preached to our kids was, I, I don't think at the beginning of the 21 season, it would have been much different if we'd have played Oakland week one, you know, mm. but I, you know, we kept preaching to our kids and coach Adam Hendricks, who's co-offensive coordinator for us, does coaches our running backs, does a great job, but he, he's one that kept saying, you know, if we keep doing what we're doing, we can close this gap and give ourselves a chance to win. We wanted to have a chance to win. Mm. And of course I thought we had a really good game plan going into it. And they didn't lose many guys from the year before. So they were mm-hmm. still loaded, you know, and had best running back in the state, super talented wideouts, you know, they were so good. Um, but to be 14-14 at halftime and 17-14 going into the fourth quarter, we had the ball with a chance to take the lead uh, and just that drive stalled out. And so uh, we actually got two first downs on that drive and, and, and didn't couldn't find a way to manufacture points and just had a – a couple plays 
not go our way and and because of Oakland because of how good they are uh, that made all the difference in the world and and games like that that's the way it goes so I was I hate that not that we're in the moral victories at Maryville we want to win mm-hmm. everyone we play in um, but man I was so proud of that that team and yeah we got beat 24 14 final score but we only had the ball six times, you know, so hmm. it was just one of those games. I don't, I, don't, I don't think the game lasted much longer than two hours. I mean, it was yeah. so fast, um, just a very physical, brutal, it was a big boys big boys game, you know. But it was – and I'll remember that because our kids played their guts out. Two phenomenal football teams playing each other. And, you know, obviously the winner of that game for a while has won state championship. That's wild. Um, so – if I had to, like, I get Coach Cummings on the call. Like, I get him, I, I, I get him in. I get Farragut's coach in here. I get Powell's coach. And I'm like, hey, what about Derek Hunt's offense is the most frustrating to deal with? What do you think their answer is going to be? Oh, um, I have no idea. <laughs> uh, yeah, I have. That's a good question. It's, it's, mm. it's probably one that I can't even answer. I, I, I they'll probably talk about our players being really good, you know, mm-hmm. and, and we've been fortunate to have some really good players. I don't know. I, what I would like for them to say, let me answer that. What okay. I would, what I would like for them to say is they're super efficient. They don't turn the ball over. And when you make a mistake, they make you pay. That, mm. That's, that's our goal. You know, we, we want to be efficient. We want to be balanced on offense. Mm. You know, we're not going to throw the ball 40 times and we're not going to run the ball 40 times. So we want to be balanced Get the get the ball in the, in the hands to our really good players, not turn it over, and that's what we've done the past few years. I think you know Carson Jones last year he had you know twenty seven touchdown passes and one interception. I mean just phenomenal, silly you know ratio there. So seventy eight percent completion percentage, and when we had a chance to make big plays, we made them. So that's our goal. So I hope that's what they'll say. They may say you know I, he's a fluke. So <laughs> you never know. <laughs> Let's hope not. Uh, I I got your back, Coach. Um, well, when you look, is there a game that you have circled on the calendar this fall that you're most excited for? Well, we we play such a tough schedule, Chase. Yeah. Every one of them so big. Um, you know, we start off with Heritage, which was a, which is a county county mm-hmm. rivalry in a county school. They've been playing forever, Maryville Heritage. Um, and then we go Pal, which is a TV game, big game. Mm-hmm. Turn around, start in district game with Farragut, mm-hmm. and then you got Alcoa. So out of the gate, I mean, you got you got those games right out of the gate. Um, also play Knox West, which is a big game. Play Science Hill out of out of region, which is a big game. You know, we'll finish the year with Bradley Central, which mm-hmm. I think for the last three years has been a region championship game. So, I mean, do you want that good- though? When you yeah. do you do you want yes. that kind of out of the gate? Like, let's get tested. You're not a believer in yep. like the cupcakes to get this thing moving. You want to be challenged right away. No, I mean. So we used to, like when I played, we opened up with Alcoa. Yeah. You know, they're one of the best teams in the state, you know, year in, year out. So, yeah, that's the way you want it. I I, I would rather play a really tough schedule. Mm-hmm. I would rather play good teams early. It's a, who can, I mean, if you take a lump along the way, you take a beating around along the way, you're going to learn a lot. Mm-hmm. We want to be playing our best football in November. Yeah. We want, you know, we want to be able to make deep playoff runs. And if that means you got to lose one or two to get there, that, then so be it. But the goal each year is to maximize the potential of that team. Sometimes that means you can go 15-0 and win a state championship, and that's great. We've done that, but but that doesn't always work that way. Sometimes that means you're you're going to lose a game early, but then you may, may you may you know improve, get better, make a run late, and still have a chance to win 
all, you know, five games in, in the playoffs. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think our 21 team reached our potential. I really do. Um, I think our 2020 team reached our potential, even though we got beat 42-7 against Oakland in the Final Four. I think Oakland was that good. Mm. You know, I, I, so I just our goal is to reach our full potential. We have not always done that, but I think we've done that a lot at Maryville. What's and, the full potential this year? Yeah, a time will tell. You okay. know, that's a great question. Now, being in spring practice, it's hard to tell. Yeah. Another thing is you don't know what everybody else has either. True. You know, um, and we'll learn that as we get started. But that's what's fun about playing big games early is you learn a lot about yourself. And so when I when we're like late in the twenty late in the playoffs and we go back mm-hmm. and watch games from early in the year, it's incredible how much our team changes even throughout ten weeks. Hmm. Uh, our offense, our personnel, schematically, who we are. You know, we learn who we are. We learn who needs to play. Competition sometimes aren't won in game one, but they are in game five. So it's fun, man. That's what makes it fun. Uh, you get a rare day off, Coach. You you get a rare day off to go do whatever you want to do. What do you do? Well, I'm with my kids. I've got three kids. Okay. Seven. All right, how about this? The kids have babysitters. The kids are all taken care oh. of. You, mm. you're, you can do whatever you want to do. Do you go fishing? Do you go yeah. read a book? Go to the pool? What do you do? Uh, well, all those, all three of those are things okay. I like to do, um, you know, and I don't do this enough, but I like to get, uh, I love going to mountains. We did that ton when I was a kid, mm-hmm. our family would go up there like on Memorial day, labor Smokies. day. Yep. Fourth yeah. of July, we would go to Townsend and, and hang out literally the entire day. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, I, uh, we did it not, not long ago, about three weeks ago, our, uh, we took my wife and I took our kids and we went on a short hike. Mm. and uh just had a ball had a blast laughed our rear ends off at each other and and uh you know we just have some, my kids are seven four and one so you can imagine um you know it's we're busy but that stuff i would i'll go to the mountains okay i like that um we'll end on this so this is kind of, if your family had to say like a weirdest quirk that you have and that marable fans would be surprised to know about you what do you think it would be weirdest quirk that Maribel fans would be like, ah, oh, I would not have guessed that about Coach Hunt. That's interesting. Um, I'm not superstitious, but I am a little stitious. <laughs> um, to quote Michael Scott from The Office, I, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so maybe that's it. Some root ghost root, hunter. Root if tenants. the whole Maribel thing doesn't work out, you can just get into ghost hunting, <laughs> paranormal activity. Yeah, I, mean, I don't know about that, but yeah. uh, but uh, not necessarily with ghosts. But um, I'm a pretty routine oriented person so um I, I don't like to get out of those and probably need to work on that some to be well, honest see, i'm dying to i'm dying to meet an elite coach who doesn't have a great routine like I, Absolutely. i've talked to I, i've talked to so many none of them have been like you know i just wake up and yeah. we'll see what the day has in front of me I, that's just a elite person in general i hope yeah. you know there's a lot of um you know super successful people that they're good because they know who they are and what they do. And it's the same almost every day. So it's the um, freedom of structure. I think it's something that scares a lot of people, but I believe in the the freedom of structure that, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm wired the same way. We, we have a lot to get done coach, different things, but a lot to get done. Absolutely. Um, well, how do the good folks um, that are around the Knoxville area tuning in today? How do they support the Maribel football program? How do they support us? Just yes. don't watch kids play like high school football is such a great Avenue for young men. Mm-hmm. And we can't lose this. We cannot lose high school football. And I'm, I worry about, you know, our culture and our society sometimes getting rid of some things that are really good for our kids. Mm-hmm. I hope high school football doesn't, add, you know, doesn't 
get on that list anywhere in the near future. So uh, supporting high school football in this area is is a great, great, great thing for our young men. And so let's just keep doing it. I hope so, too. I mean, uh, this past fall was my first like full because 2020 I throw out the window and what the experience was like there. But growing up Friday Night Lights in part view with what we grew up with Frank Core and everything. And yep. I, I yep. grew up with uh, I was spoiled kind of like uh, part is kind of like a Maribel in, yep. uh, in yep. Gwinnett County. But yep. um, it's definitely in in, uh, in my blood and I, I love it on Friday nights. I, I love in the fall, like circling which games I'm going to go to and how I'm going to uh book my fall schedule here in knoxville so i think oh. Maryville powell is going to be on my list this fall I, sure. I watched it on tv last year i want to see it in person uh this year i want to I think I'm gonna, yeah is it in uh, Maryville or powell this year it's at powell this year okay and they're what's your biggest home game yeah what's your biggest uh, home game? we'll play alco at home this year and I'd say it has to be Alcoa, our biggest right. home game for sure. Yeah, I'll be there for Alcoa. I'll be there for cool. Alcoa, and we'll talk in person, Coach. We'll we'll talk in person, and it'll probably be a good one. I think uh, that'll be good. Uh, Derek Hunt, thank you so much for making the time. This was great. I greatly appreciate it. Go support the Maryville Football Program and Friday Night Lights in uh, the East Tennessee and just Tennessee across across the board because uh, we're very pro Friday Night Lights on this podcast. So, Derek, thank you so much. Have a good day. Uh, spring practice well underway, and uh, I'll talk to you again soon. Hey, thank you so. Look forward to it. All right, y'all, that'll do it for this edition of the Chase Thomas Podcast. Very long one for you guys uh, this evening or this morning. I'm recording this outro in, late in the evening, but, uh, you know, what is time? What is time? Um, but I hope you guys enjoyed it uh, as much as I did being able to talk with Will, with Matt, and with Coach Hunt. It was it was a lot of fun being able to talk with all three of them on this edition of the podcast, the Friday, May 13th, 2022 edition here on the Chase Thomas Podcast. Thank you again for tuning in to this broadcast. I greatly appreciate it. I highly encourage you to go check out all the other great shows across the Blue Wire Pod Network. Um, go subscribe to us on YouTube, Chase Thomas Podcast, right there on YouTube.com. Join the conversation and follow along with all of our video components. Uh, subscribe to us on Sports Renaissance Man, sportsrenaissanceman.substack.com. Uh, email me at chase thomas podcast at gmail.com follow me on twitter at chase double underscore thomas and like the facebook page at facebook.com slash chase thomas writer new episode coming tomorrow i'm not sure what the weekend schedule is going to be uh based on my uh kind of my class schedule over the next couple days wrapping up these final projects and stuff so might have to be in the lab literally the computer lab uh working on stuff this weekend so We shall see uh, if I'm able to get those in on Saturday and Sunday, but fingers crossed. It looks like Saturday we'll we'll be good to go for tomorrow's pods, but uh, the rest of the weekend kind of up in the air at the moment. So we shall see. We shall see, but I will keep you guys in the loop and uh, thank you as always for joining joining the program and uh, following along, listening and supporting this show. I greatly appreciate it. Um, Always remember uh, this show comes out new episodes daily at three o'clock in the morning, uh, East coast time for you guys. So look out for that in your podcast feed first thing in the morning. So check that out. And, uh, the chase and podcast will always be there. Consistency, consistency, consistency. Uh, all right. Well, that's all I've got. Uncle Derek, how'd I do? Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.